0: by the way, they held their eyes, so if you don't mind my saying, I can see you're out of aces, for a taste of your whiskey, I'll give you some advice, so I handed him my bottle, and he drank down my last swallow, then he bombed a cigarette, and asked
1: me for a light. Welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast, I'm here with Bubba and the Batflip. Now, I'm really excited to have both of you on here. Um, I've spoken to uh, Toby before, but um, I feel it's long overdue that we have uh, Bubba on here. Um, so why don't you guys uh, spill your credentials?
2: Credentials. <laughs> well, I'm Bubba's on Twitter. has got better
3: ones than I do, so I
1: first.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to go that far when it comes to, like, maybe where I work, but uh, not when it comes to winning leagues. But um, I'm on Twitter at BDntric. Uh You can find my written content at rotoballer.com and fantasy sports degens. And, of course, the Bench with Bubba podcast, Bubba and the Batflip. There's a lot of other stuff when DFS comes around, but uh, that's the basics. Just for nonsense, follow me on Twitter. You'll get all the goods there. Cool.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I'm, I'm Toby I'm on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Do the, uh, the the podcast with Bubba, um, Bubba and the Batflip. And I'd also just give a shout-out for those of you um, – who listen to the Bubba, Bubba and the Batflip Flip episodes, definitely check out uh, the Bench with Bubba stuff that Bubba does, which is also great. And gives a lot of uh, opportunities for folks who maybe aren't as well known in the industry. That was the first podcast that I was ever on. So um, gotta, gotta, gotta give love for that. Um, and just uh, always, whenever there's a new metric on, Bubba has people on, and it's a great podcast. So check that out. Um, that's pretty much where you can reach me on Twitter and, um, and on the podcast. Uh, those, those are the best those are the best places. Otherwise, I'm invisible.
2: Otherwise, he's drafting.
3: Otherwise, I'm drafting. <laughs> <Yeah>. Otherwise, I'm, <laughs> I'm spending my time drafting uh, Vince Velasquez for the eighth time out of 12 drafts. Got any Matt Moore this year? I don't have Matt Moore, but I do think that that's interesting. Um, yes. But what's fascinating is that when those guys get picked up, they don't just hop in in the back of drafts, you know? he's not going in round 50 guys are now like grabbing him in like round 40 round 42 because everybody sees that and they're like it's like the recency bias of transactions you're like everybody is thinking about this now i need to do this at this moment in time right this second um so yeah no mat more yet but I, i will get there i hope it's one of the, th- one of the things I find
1: interesting uh, during draft seasons is how the draft uh, market evolves. And that's, I think what you're talking about. And even when we look at our draft, we'll like, we did it, what we started January 15th, which was almost a month ago. I guess it was, it was a while ago. You guys were the last uh, pair to have on the, that I've had on this podcast, save the best for last. Um, but um,
3: yeah, like things have changed. That, that was a, that was a, that was a great way to make up for it, Zach, right? There. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a good save so yeah
1: no i think like even even our board is just like it's you can see that it would it would not have been drafted that way and i was talking to eric cross already like he took arenado i'm like he probably could have taken he could have he probably could have waited around for arenado, but he did get value or he he would have he wouldn't have been able to get certain other players that late so things are always moving then i and you just trying to keep up with it keep up with it's Some um, interesting so um before we get into like we're going to look at the board for our battle of the pods but before we get into that i do have to tell you guys that um um your 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 guys podcast well like again like bubba Benjamin bubba i've listened to all those episodes too i just listened to you and dave swan um that was a great episode and the Benjamin bubba Bub, um and um bubba the back like that was the first one i really got into like i was i always listened to cbs and like fan um, when I was playing my home leagues like I had home leagues, hundred home leagues, whatever, but then I got into the NFBC, I started listening to it and, and I think it was um it was the strategy combined with like the the element of like application to the high stakes leagues as well. like you, it, it sort of spanned borders and you got into strategy you got into the strategy, but you also supported your theories really well. so um, it really was like like what inspired me to start doing my own podcast and and being able to talk to people like you. so, um i know that they had the uh, the nominations for best podcast but i do have to say like i think yours should have been nominated i do have to give you guys credit and um i really do enjoy what you do
2: i appreciate well, that it means a lot
3: yeah that's super nice that's super nice you think, you uh you've done an excellent job of saving yourself from having us on last act <laughs> and i am of, of course just kidding because bub and i did did an episode kind of on our drafts a little bit at least the first half of them so i know that i did i did listen
1: knows. i did listen to that one I think that was, I think that was good, but um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to, I do listen. So I'm, I'm cognizant not to recycle too much content from, from the one that, from what you've already, um, what you've already, uh,
3: hashed out. So, sure. um, looking at, but, looking at, I really appreciate I do really appreciate the sentiment. I want to make sure I'm not kidding when I say that. No, no, I'm not kidding either. This, this is no bullshit.
1: Um, I, <laughs> and I think this, 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 this should actually mean more to you guys than the actual nomination.
3: It, 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 does. <laughs> it does. It does. We hear yeah, your um, peers or, positive or peers people, whatever
1: so. you want to describe it as. I think that that, that admiration is probably um, more valuable.
2: I 100% agree, actually. Yes, definitely.
1: So looking at our board, I have it pulled up on my screen here. Um, now, before we get into it, do, do, does it, does anything stick out to you, like in terms of what we were just discussing in terms of like the market moving? Um, I, don't, I don't have anything planned for this. I just sort of, um, it's sort of, um, this is sort of on the fly right now, but. Um, like I know, I, I mentioned Arenado. Um, some of the other, um, just to sort of get us warmed up. Some of the other, um, when I was looking at uh, Cross's team, um, I was telling him that um, he probably wouldn't have been able to get Kirillov and David Dahl where he got them. Um, just he got them a little bit later than he would like. Than he then they're sort of going now in in uh, the market in these DCs that I'm playing. Um, probably some obvious ones are i'm sure there's some closers that um like uh jb Wendelkin probably uh, who got him That's, um rob got him and then, De- well, and then course, De- yeah. De- i think yeah deep sorry deepman uh, Bubba, you got him i got deepman now. now um I think those guys are probably getting put, I think from what I see, they're getting pushed up a little bit uh, just because mm-hmm. the, 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 I think we did this right when maybe the news was just coming out about like some clarity there. Um, I actually just, I mean, the, the DC I'm in right now, I took Diekman. And then after I took him, there was news that the Oakland A's wanted to like, I guess, share up their bullpen more. I don't know what they mean by that. I don't know if they're looking to bring in like a Melanson, which is sort of what I'm afraid of. Um, or maybe they want to get in, bring someone else in that maybe would be set slide into the middle innings. But then I, I I think I I think I took Diekman probably earlier than you did here. And then I think I was I might pick like two 360 or 380 or something. And I I I just went in and I got Wendalkin because I felt I felt pot committed. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that because the situation's unclear. But um I like to so I like to if the situation's not clear, then I like to get both of them. But it might be a waste of two draft picks.
2: It's tough. It's tough this time of year because like I could look at about four picks I made. That I probably wouldn't make at that point in the draft at all. Like Roddy in round seventeen, that would not happen at all. Not not a chance at all. I, he's slipping much much farther now, so I wouldn't touch him. Jordan Romano, who's on my team, I think that I think those moves happened when Toby and I reviewed our our team. I'm just like banging my head against the wall going.
1: Toby's smiling Great. with his Blue Jay hat on right now.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's laughing. <laughs> is what he's doing, um, but Isn't so my those type
1: lad, Junior. <laughs> yeah. I- this is yeah, anti-as long as we got Luis Castillo for him. You know, obviously, you know I'm a Jays fan. As long as you got Luis Castillo for him, then
3: I'm happy. Good <laughs> luck. Who drafted Vlad Jr. in this draft? Ah, know. Maddie Williams. All right. We'll save we'll save that analysis for later. Okay. So sorry to <laughs> go on uh, Bubba.
2: No, I'm just saying there, there's picks like you're talking about guys moving. Um, you know, Telez is falling quite a bit. We recapped the corner infield last week, and he's one of the big followers at corner infield. Uh, Jordan Romano is not going to be you know they went and got Kirby Yates and whatnot so those are two picks right there that I know I wouldn't even probably make let alone at that point in the draft Uh, we'll talk about another pick pretty soon that uh, I'm I'm kind of my closing situation I liked it that then but since I've done deeper dives on closers like potential closers I'm kind of mad at myself for uh, not grabbing certain guys so yeah the more you get into draft season the more you realize that drafting early has tons of perks but also has a few uh, downsides at times
1: well put. I think Sim, I got Lucas Sims. I don't think I would have taken him where I took him anymore, obviously because of the news, that, the news that came out
3: today. Supposed to be minor though. supposed to be minor. I hope so. Said. I, I,
1: I, Lucas Sims. Like, you know, I, I draft early, as you guys know, and um, things have been working out relatively well as, as players sort of fall off the board. Um, it's, it, it's sort of like um, chipping away. Like I, I remember last year when Adam Jones went to Japan, I'm like, okay, no shares of him. That's one little tiny victory. Um, but um there's nothing everything so far has been positive for me in terms of the initial news um except for that sims news because i'm like i'm almost like 50 percent invested in lucas sims in my drafts so mm-hmm. that's somewhat large for me because i've been taking him not late like in in the in the in the 20s
3: i i got my i got my first uh deepman uh in my in my draft that i'm in right now Bubba. so um, join the party yeah so yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been, he was he was really good, and they're saying that he's going to get the role. And when I think about the t- closers that they could sign off the market, like Mark Melanson doesn't strike me as an A's type of closer. You know, it's like he's not a guy you pay high money for because he doesn't really have the skills. Like, it just doesn't make sense um, okay, for, that. For, from my perspective. And then you think about the other guys, there's Wendelkin, Sure, there's there's also Trevino, who they've mentioned as as maybe being a high leverage guy who's going at even after Wendelkin. And, you know, there's also Weems, who I, who I like a little bit, who's going really late in draft. So they just have a bunch of guys. I think the challenge is, like, I think in that scenario, I'm kind of, you know, I like to get grab the guy who looks like he's gonna have the job, kind of like Bubba did, and then maybe grab somebody later on. Like, maybe not the next guy. Like, I don't want to spend a top 450 pick on Wendelkin necessarily because Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard to know who's going to be the next next guy up right it could be somebody who's not even on their team right now and so I'll go for maybe a Trevino much later on in the draft where it's like let's say it's 50% Diekman, just throwing that out there like random number and let's say it's you know 35% Wendelkin and 15% Trevino or something like that you know I'd rather take the 50% and the 15% and the 50% and the 35% at their respective draft costs, you know? So I think that's part of the balancing act when, when there's like not a great situation with the closers is actually why I'm, I'm kind of uh, upset at myself because I look at some of these guys and it's like, Jose Leclerc is perfect because yep. you get Leclerc, I think. And I don't think Hernandez is the next guy up. I know people are drafting Hernandez to be next guy up, but he's got some regression headed his way. And I think Jolie Rodriguez is the perfect backup to him because he's signed to a major league deal. So he doesn't have to worry about arbitration. He doesn't, they don't have to worry about salary. They don't have to worry about incentives and he's going like after pick 650. So it's like you get Leclerc going late for closers and then you get his backup, which I'm assuming it's his backup, right? There's some discretion involved there and you get him like after pick 650. I think those are the types of things where you don't spend a lot of draft capital, but you're able to get, a, a bulk of what what you can assume, and sometimes you're going to be wrong, and that's going to happen. But I think you know you at least didn't spend a ton of draft capital to be wrong.
1: Right. Um, there is a name. I was I had Greg Jewett on, on my podcast recently, and I've just been talking to him, and I'll give him a shout out because um, we were talking about closers and all these different situations, and then he he just messaged me. He's like a, no, a name to keep an eye on on the A's is Wa- Wandinson Charles.
3: I've never heard
2: of this guy. Interesting.
3: I've never heard that name before.
1: Today. Neither have
2: I.
3: Greg's super smart, so I'm going to look it up yeah. right now.
2: Yeah, Greg's uh, the relief pitcher guru. I think I have him on every preseason. I actually have him on in a couple of days. So,
3: he was uh, actually yeah, We
2: went through good. all
1: the teams. Like We went through all yeah. the all the different closers, and he, 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 um, he gave me a couple of names
3: I hadn't heard of.
2: Uh, yeah, he's good at that.
3: He, he definitely looks really good. He has an enormously high walk rate. And he's also young, so it gets me to the point of like, what's the financial incentive that they have for throwing the guys in that spot? But
2: uh, Toby's a big guy. if they're young and they can save money guy. Toby's anti that, which makes sense, Toby's logical. But it's it's a I'm, it's a, it's something that most people don't think about going into it, and it makes sense once you break it down because there's so many cheap teams out there.
3: Just just from a fantasy perspective, I mean, how many times have we seen best reliever now is in high leverage spots, and we'd like mm-hmm. to think it's because. MLB teams have adapted and they realize like that's when you should be throwing your best pitcher. But part of it's probably that, but then I think another part of it is, is keeping the, the cost down. Um, yeah. I'm looking at him too. The, the walk
1: rate's crazy. It's sort of um, back to Texas. Kind of, it's kind of similar to DeMarcus Evans on Texas. Um, I've been grabbing a lot of him, but again, um, there's, there's like, there's like, it's like a four headed monster almost. If you include Hernandez there. So it's a really, it's a really tough situation and everyone has their awards, including Leclerc who has some injuries to come back from. And that's totally. not without risk too. So that's, a, that's, but on the other hand it is an easy um, situation to handcuff uh, so sort to of speak, right? Because the, they are, the, the, rest of, the rest of that bullpen are is cheap relatively, so I don't mind it. Um, I haven't been making my way out with Leclerc. Um, I don't know why, just because I haven't, but I've gotten some shares of um, like the other three uh, mostly mostly evans and jolie rodriguez are my targets but that's who i'm ending with uh, ending up with there um i guess um this is a good sort of segue to get into our um call, calling you out to defend a player of um that you drafted and bubba's is a closer so now, now that we're talking about closers um i'm looking at the board and you know what honestly like bubba i love your draft um it's one of my like i've said it when we've when we've reviewed the other drafts and i think you've been getting a lot of compliments on your draft um especially the early picks like your like the way you started but also the rest of them but one of the picks i want to talk to you about is hunter harvey in round 23 you selected him before closers like melanson leclerc and i don't know there's probably some other ones uh reyes maranta i don't know um my reason i'm asking is because baltimore is not good and like he he was like slated to potentially get some saves last year, but they went to other options as well. Right. And they do have some of those options too.
2: Yeah. Well, the reason he, they went to other options last year is he got hurt. So he was out. Uh, he started the year getting the saves. It wasn't uh, glorious by any means. Uh, 4 one ERA in his uh, 10 games. And, and a couple of those games are after he uh, came back from his injury. So it wasn't the most ideal situation for uh, Hunter Harvey to say the least. But I guess the way I would justify taking him over some other options was the fact that um, for now, on paper, he has the job. Now, that could change quickly. Um, As we've continued to draft, I've started to um, take some other options in the back of that bullpen. Tanner Scott's a guy I have in a lot of spots now, and Cesar Valdez going even later. So I've been making those adjustments, like you talked about, Jolie Rodriguez and these other guys on other teams. I think Tanner Scott's a great backup option because I could see him outplaying Hunter Harvey at some point. And then Cesar Valdez could run into some, because like you said, the Orioles mix and match so much. They could trade guys this year. They're not going to be contenders. We know all these things. So those are the kind of teams that if you want to take late shots on guys, you might get guys that run into a handful of saves, 162 game season. You never know five, 10 saves could help you later on. So I liked Harvey at the time. I'm a big Harvey guy. Toby can attest. I've preached him even going into last year. The, uh, the fastball velocity is crazy. Uh, when the command's there, he's very, very good. And unlike a lot of relievers, he's a former starter, so he's got like four pitches that he can use. He's really good with two to three of them, which usually most closers, it's like two pitches. So the fact he can mix and match, I, I like a lot. It's just, it's the Orioles, and it was ugly last year, but um, he's a guy I really like when he closed out 2019. He closed out in a strong way, and that's why Melanson doesn't have a job right now uh, Reyes Morant, as much as I love him, coming back from injury, he should be the guy in the, in uh, San Francisco. But there's like three or four guys that uh, Kepler could go or Kepler could go to. So that that's uh, that's questionable. Um, and Leclerc, I've never been in love with Leclerc. Toby's always been team Leclerc. Um, I have not been there as much, but I get it. So that, that's why I went Harvey. Harvey's a guy I target, and uh, if he stays healthy, I think he's got some of the best stuff in that bullpen. But that could be a big if as well. And at the same time, closers are flying off the board in this draft.
1: Yeah, I was I, I was team with Clerk last year It did not do me well in yeah. 2020. But um
2: well, and I I appreciate you taking Lucas Sims and Amir Garrett going before Harvey right there because I probably would have taken one of those two, and then um, then I went with Harvey at least for now. His elbow is okay, so we're good.
1: That's good. That's good. And he, yeah, he, I remember he was um, a top prospect coming up right after Bundy, so he was sort of in that yep. same. Um, it was sort of the same pedigree, so to speak there. Um, Toby, um, I, I'm not, uh, not a particular player, but just, um, I wanted to talk to you about pitching because you did take your pocket aces. Your, your head, you have your head, your, your head is in your lap right now. Um, <laughs> so you did, you take your
3: pocket aces.
1: Uh, you took Darvish and you mm-hmm. took, um, who was your other, I'm just pulling it up.
2: Nola.
3: Nola. Nola. My first, this is like, the first time I have Nola on any of my teams I have. I think 12 teams now. And this is the first Nola I have, even though I like Nola a lot, he's just been in this zone for me where it's like, you know, if I draft late enough, it's like a Giolito Darvish, who I both have ahead of him. And then if it's later on in the drafts, you know, I guess I haven't been drafted around like 10 to 12 or something like that, but I finally was able to get him, which was nice. That's good. How does it feel having a Nola share? It feels good. You know, I think he's, um, I think he's good. I think he's getting better. I think he's got the, um, he's got the pitch mix change that he used. He's got the, he's got the change. He's got the curve, both really good pitches, high ground ball rate. So I think everything that you're kind of looking for, I think he can do. Um, The ballpark is an ideal, but that's about the only thing that I can kind of, you know, be a little down on him for. Right. But I'm, I'm fine with him being my my number two or or, or my ace, potentially. just think it's a matter of who you get after that. Right. But That's I, felt, nice I felt okay. I wanted to get Giolito here. I wanted to get Giolito, but Rob snagged him right before me. Rob. I know. Pull was R- R-
2: Rob was a massive pain in this draft, and I, I, I say that yeah. with the utmost respect. <laughs> yeah, I, it was – You got me a few times just getting guys. I
1: do not enjoy drafting with Rob. I do like him as a person, but not as a drafter. As a human
3: being and a podcaster, he's, 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 he's a good guy.
1: top notch, but draft drafting with him is not, not a lot of fun. Um, I can can say that for sure. Um, But I, yeah, like you mentioned, it's about what you do afterwards and that's what I wanted to ask you about because Mm -hmm. I, I heard you talk about like, depending on how, um, how it goes in the first couple of rounds when you want to go after your third pitcher. Um, in this case, you did, get, you did get aces in the first two rounds. So you did wait and you waited till round I think 13. So my question for you, I guess, is there's, there's, there's so much to analyze in terms of like a lot of moving pieces inter um, with respect to when you, um, when you draft your pitches in the beginning rounds. But in this case where you've gone pocket aces, you've waited to draft Smiley price and Keiko your uh, three-headed monster of left-handed pitchers um, there. And what I wanted to ask you is what are you focusing on? What's going through your head? Are you looking at, okay, do I need to get, do I need to solidify volume getting innings? Do I need to like lock up more ratios or do I got to, do I start focusing on, focusing on relief pitchers? So those three concepts in in pitching, how do you, how do you, what's going through your head? I think that's what I want to know.
3: Yeah. What was going through my head as I was thinking about my pitching staff was, mistakes were made uh, throughout the draft. Uh, This is pretty much the only draft that I have where I don't have three starting pitchers in the first 105 picks or so. I've talked about this a couple times, but, you know, I had Darvish and Nolan. I wanted to start out there. I loved some of the hitters I got. I mean, I got Merrifield. I got Bregman. I felt really good about that. And then coming back around, at pick 74, Sal Perez was still on the board. And so I felt like I needed to take him and grabbing Bundy at, you know, who went at pick 75. I mean, for me, that's super early for Bundy, not a criticism, um, uh, not a criticism for, for drafting him, but it just pitching went so early in this draft. I think it was actually a really good, kind of, it was, I learned a lot from the draft in a lot of, in a lot of different respects. I could talk about it forever, but just from a pitching perspective, pitching went earlier than I anticipated. I was hoping to grab, you know, Bundy or Granky probably at picks uh, 90, what is that, 104, at pick 104, where I ended up getting Torres, I believe, or, or Goldie, actually, Goldie, I can, I can, I can count. Um, And so, but they were long gone before then. And so it was really this situation where I got myself in. And then I looked at the board and I said, you know, the next best guy that I like is probably Kevin Gaussman. And then I asked myself, you know, I like Goldie and Altuve in this spot right here. I really like them a lot, although I was a little, again, upset at both Rob and Bubba for grabbing Contreras and Grandal really early, because I was interested in getting them mm. as well, but I thought I might be able to wait around. You know, and it's just one of those things where that's the game that we kind of play. Like, you know, you look at who's available and you take the, the best guys that you want there, but then you also have to factor in like ADP and figuring out do which guy might be more likely. Like, let's say that, you know, just for the sake of argument's sake, I'm like, you know, I like Goldie and Altuve, the same as I like Contreras and Grandal, and but the chances that Grandal and Contreras are going to get back to me are much more likely, and so I'm always going to go with Goldie and Altuve in that particular instance. But so, I, anyways, I found myself with with Gaussman, and I looked at and I just said, is the difference between Gaussman and Drew Smiley that big? Is, it, is there that much of a difference between those guys that I'm looking at at drafting as third starting pitcher because I need to draft a third starting pitcher? Is, that, is the difference between them that great? And I don't think it is. You know, like I like Kevin Gaussman. I drafted him, you know, I, I like what he did. I think everything that he da- did looks fine. I don't think that necessarily means that he'll be able to replicate it, but I just didn't see a huge difference between him and some of the guys that I like going in the late 100s, early 200s. And so I kind of made a decision at that point that I wasn't going to grab starting pitching until around pick one eighty or so. And then I was just thinking as as we got closer, like, okay, who are the guys that I want? And I want a high skilled guy, more of like a ceiling pick and smiley. But I knew that I had to reinforce him with some potential innings. And I think Price fell to a point. I think this is pick like one ninety four or something yep. like that. Yep. Yep. Um, and and. You know, and, and so at that point in time, you know, we'd seen him throw, you know, we saw that Instagram video or whatever it was. And while it sounds foolish, that it, that was encouraging to me. <laughs> um, and, and then for Keiko, I kind of was, I kind of am, am bummed out about that pick, honestly, because I think with Keiko, I was looking specifically at volume and he's in the AL Central, which is a decent division. You know, when you look at how he's fared in, in recent seasons, he's really had one bad year. The ratio, the whip hasn't been great, but I felt like with with kind of a Darvish and Nola start, I was in a decent position there. And with Price, who if he pitches, I think will be you know pretty good. And so I went with Keuchel there, really for volume, and I think that was a mistake, but it happens. And then you know for closers, especially in a DC, you know I'm always I'm always going to look for the later guys. Like I'm not going to spend up on draft capital there because. I just think it's it's a situation where, you know, yeah, you could spend a lot on them because because you don't really have an opportunity to fab and get closers, but the plate appearances are just so critical to doing well in offense and getting those stable guys. And I think that that does run run out early in drafts. I'd rather just kind of load up on hitters then and take some, a little bit more risk. So. Greg Holland seems fine to me. I mean, you know, what are the shots that he holds the job, maybe 50% or something like that. But, you know, I'd rather pay that cost, you know, than 75% chance that some closer who's going ahead of him keeps the job, but paying, you know, five or six rounds more than that. So I got Holland who seems like he's got the gig. I got Hicks, who I was kind of obsessed with Hicks for a few weeks. I think I got him in like three or four drafts in a row. You know, I I wish we had a little bit more on him, but I think we've heard, you know, from the Cardinals that if he's ready to go, that he's gonna be their closer. I've seen some quotes that indicate that. Then I got Leclerc and Martin. So I feel like I, I have four closers going into it. You know, at least two of them will probably lose the job during the season. I hope two of them keep it, and then maybe some of the speculative. Closer types that I get later on will, will do well. I got like a Scott Barlow to back him up. Anyways, that was an incredibly long answer to your question. And you also got but, um, Alex Reyes, a sort, sort of backup Hicks too. So you, you, yeah. you, you, you somewhat
1: um, dabbled into the handcuffing strategy. I don't know if it's on purpose or whatever, but I, I like to call it that.
3: Um, I mean, and part of the handcuffing strategy too, is get a good handcuff. Don't just get a guy who's a handcuff for getting a handcuff. Get a guy who's good. Like Barlow is arguably better than Holland. You know, Reyes, I mean, you know, him and Hicks are actually pretty similar, I think, talent wise, mm-hmm. but it gives you at least second chance. You're not spending all that draft capital or getting a guy just because he might be the closer.
1: I like, um, Maton as well. And Baba, yes. you took a uh, I like both of those picks because the more I think about it, the more they could like what you were saying in terms of the arbitration, they might, they might, um, hold back Karin Ker- Shaq. I don't, I don't see them. I don't see Clayce. I don't know why I just don't see that as a closer yeah, th- mm-hmm. this year. I, don't, I just don't see it. I think he's going way too high. I'd, I'd much, I'd rather have either of those two guys, you guys drafted straight up than clays. Um, yeah, I I'm mean, safe. not sure. How to yeah. He, he's also. not,
3: a, he's not a closer type to me at all. I mean, he throws hard and everybody looks at the hundred mile per hour staff. He doesn't that's have what, swing and miss stuff. He doesn't get strikeouts. He walks a ton of guys. It's the exact opposite of what you want as a closer. Right. That makes sense.
1: Um, Going back to um, looking at Bubba's team here, um, when you go through some of the picks, like you did take Grandel, um and then uh, you waited, you waited for a while on closer. You got you got some you got some decent stabs, I'll call them at the end. But um, what what um, is there any um, is there anything that you're really happy about on your team, Bubba?
2: Well, um, I guess the flexibility, I don't mind. That's why I like Joey Wendell. I pretty much have like every DC team. He's got three positions, so I, I jump on that. Tommy Edmonds another guy I have everywhere, even though people think Edmonds is horrible, which, okay, he's leading off for the Cardinals. So it works for me. Um, so I got those two guys that can play all over the infield, which will help a lot with uh, as the season goes on for sure. Uh, Kurt Suzuki, I liked a lot. Then they went and uh, – yeah, I got him to kind of back up my Max Stasi so it kind of gets me one catcher out of the two type situation to kind of play that one out. Other than that, it was just grab a lot of uh, pitching depth late. and That's kind of a strategy I've used in a lot of these. I'll give credit to Phil Ducelle. He explained it in a way that I understood and it made a ton of sense that if you get the the hitters you like early on, have a couple backups here and there, you should have a bunch of pitchers that you can rotate through because A, pitchers majority of the time get injured a lot more than hitters and B, you have that flexibility that you might uh, hit on a couple that come out of nowhere and are act- absolutely studs and you can roll that direction. So there's a handful of guys uh, that I grabbed late that are going a lot earlier now, but I'll take my chances. Like you mentioned, Wittigren, Chris Archer, I love getting. I just made a like, joke about it when I picked him in the league. And I think if he's healthy, he's going to pitch every fifth day for the race. So, and they need, they need guys to throw innings. I think he's there. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. But I, I, I took a lot of stabs late on potential closers and hope that a couple of them land.
1: Yeah. That's, I think that was one of my questions for you is like, like I noticed you did that. Um, you did um, really hammer the pitching weight, which um, I did as well to a degree. And that's something I try to do because I feel like in these DCs, you got a nice little like um, pocket um, in rounds, like I'll call it like 28 to 38 ish. Um Just throwing that like, maybe it's different, but like it's around there where like, after that, the hitting like you're not gonna have consistent anything for hitting. Like even like those are like where your platoon bats are. Guys like, um, just guys like your Tyler O'Neills, like guys with un- like some sort of uncertainty. That's where you find them there. And just to, to put it in, but after say after you're in the round forties, there's nothing. I find like basically there might be the odd duck, maybe prospect that you think is gonna come up, but it's it's over after that. Whereas pitchers, you can there there are pitchers there that are serviceable. Relievers or, or, or starters. Uh, do you agree with that Bubba and like in what was your sort of focus in turn in terms of like the the profile of pitcher you were looking for there or, or um and would it matter and would that change based on what you've already done in the draft
2: No, I 100% agree with the hitters late thing it's like I got my fourth catcher I got Jed Jericho because hey he'll he'll he has those runs where he's good and he has multi-position eligibility mm-hmm. it, there are guys that don't have any guarantee playing time you look at a lot of the guys that got drafted like Edwin Encarnacion is not even signed right now. Um, there, there's Jericho so many – E5 got signed?
1: No, no is Jed Jericho signed?
2: Uh, I don't think he is either. No, see, that's the thing. It's like all these guys are just – Ryan Bronze down here. There's all these guys that they're taking chances on. So you're kind of hoping because there's really nothing available except platoon players, like you said. Um, when it came to pitching, my profile late was either starting pitchers with innings like Danny Duffy, Chris Archer – like, Lester and Fulmer aren't sexy by any means, but they're going to pitch every fifth day. You can decide when the, the – you can play him when you want. Like, I wanted Porcello. He went right before me. Thanks, Rob DiPietro, yet again. So, um, it's stuff like that for my late pitchers. I just want guys that are going to throw innings. Uh, you can take chances on younger pitchers, but we know they're either going to get babied in innings, they're going to miss starts. There's going to be some headache involved. As long as Archer, Lester, Fulmer, Duffy are healthy, which could be a big if, they're going to pitch every fifth day. Regardless of, as long as they're not blown up, they're going five, six plus every time out, which in the grand scheme of things with no fab, that's pretty important. Um, And then when it came to relievers, I want a next guy up or big time strikeout guys. I want either either or, so you can you know help your ratios, get some strikeouts, maybe run into a win here or there and play that game, which I think some of the late guys give me in the draft. So it's just kind of a mix and match of things. You mentioned Craig Jewett, you follow, you know, get his sheet steal, get his, uh, his uh, email that he gets and he'll have a ton of names on there for you to target.
1: Yeah, for sure. I like all, I like all these pictures you've targeted here. Um, they all, they all fit that mold. Um, like I like Lester a lot and you got, you got an Archer before he was signed. So that was, that was a nice mm-hmm. little boon for you. Um, what was going to ask? I was going to say, how do you like, I'm relatively new to playing these DCs. It's my second year playing them. And what last year uh, coming into them, I just, it was hard for me to wrap my head around, when would I ever start Rick Porcello? Like I know, like <laughs> the concept is increasingly relevant that it's you'd rather stream hitters and pitchers, and we'll get into that with our fab discussion. Um, but like, if you're if you're really hesitant to be streaming pitchers that are going to blow up your ratios, like how how frequently in these DCs do you find yourselves using um, guys like that? Well,
2: I'll let Toby answer that question because he's played a lot more DCs than me. I, I just I just get familiar with these guys, uh, playing like DFS. You know when to roll the dice, when not to, based on matchups. But um, Toby is the D- much more DC oriented than I am.
3: Yeah, I think it. I think it depends. I think part of part of grabbing them is just purely volume, and so that you have guys like Porcello. I mean, he's been a starting pitcher in the big leagues now for like ten years. He always throws 180 innings. They may not be good innings, but they actually are innings that exist, which later on in the draft, a lot of the guys you're taking are guys that, you know, I think to Bubba's point earlier, like with hitters, it's probably like 25% chance they even contribute, you know, with pitchers, it's probably a little bit higher, but you still have a lot of questions. Whereas a guy like Porcello, he's not sexy, but he can provide you with volume. So if he's, you know, when he was on the Mets, when he's pitching at home, against the Marlins or, you know, whatever, then then maybe you throw them in there. And I think the key is just to have as many options as possible. I think one of the challenges now with volume being so difficult to get to is at a certain point, it just becomes more, it becomes, it looks better, it feels better to just start your, your high skilled relievers, you right. know, in those instances, instead of those guys. But there isn't a world, there's a world that exists, you know, where Porcello hits the top 25% of his projection. And that's a low fours ERA, a one, two, five whip, and, you know, eight strikeouts per nine. And that's a distinct possibility. And there may even be stretches in the season where just from a skills perspective, you can see that he's actually doing something different or effective. So, that's kind of where I think a guy like Porcello is used. And sometimes you don't have a choice. I remember last year, I'm drafting a lot more pitchers this year, last year in a couple of DCs, I, I had, I didn't have pitchers to start. Like I had I literally had 10 guys on the IL and just nobody that I could put in the lineup. I was starting injured pitchers that I knew were going to get me zeros. Same here, so, same here. Um, yeah, yeah that, that definitely happened
1: to me. and And, and that's, that's why you're you're sort of hoping you never have to use Procello, okay. but, and that'd be great yeah. if you just rots on your bench, but um, totally. I guess there, there are times you're expecting to use him in other situations other than two-star weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, no, like no, no.
3: yeah, I mean, two-star weeks are dangerous, the, uh, too. Like or something. I, I may be fading him in two-star weeks.
2: <laughs> you get lucky ones. Getting twice in the same week, that's yeah. asking for a lot.
1: All right. Um, Baba, like uh, we talked about this before, but... Um, like this is, this is a concept I'm really interested in this pockets of value thing. We talked about it with respect to um, pitching, I think, but um, I noticed that both of your teams actually had, you took a lot of outfielders um, in that, uh, I guess, round nine to 13 range. And and those are like speed profile outfielders. Like uh, you took um, Bubba, you took Tavares and you took, um, well, Fam doesn't really fall into that category, but and steal some bases. Um, and then, um, Toby, you have um, Buxton there. So like you didn't get them all, but there seems to be a, a pocket where um, Robles is there too, DiPietro took. And then um, there's another guy that I'm thinking of um, on the Tigers. His name is Victor Reyes. Um, he sort of falls into that category who Govier took, all in that little um, pocket um, from pick 12 to 15 drafters. is Talk about pockets of value.
2: Yeah, it, it's a good point, and it's uh, something we've talked about before is you kind of look at your player pool and you kind of decide, okay, I'm good with like this group. And if I don't, then I'm going to drop off to this group and so on and so forth. So you mentioned first base. I've been Reese Hoskins, like through and through, like you have the elite guys up top. Then you have like your goalie Rizzo's like Toby talked about when he took Goldie. And then you drop down to like Hoskins and you, know, you have like um, Santana's down there and some other guys you can kind of play with Walker just kind of depends on where you want to go. And you, as you're drafting, you kind of watch, like I'll, I'll use my cue to literally do like four or five guys from like every position that i like coming up to make sure I'm kind of making sure I get one of my pockets, as you want to say. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just keeps me kind of honest on how, if I have to reach, if I don't have to reach, there's a question we had from a listener a couple weeks back, actually of when do you know when to reach? And it's different for every draft, but it's when your kind of pocket of positions are closing. Um, I know Toby and I like to go and other players do too. Like early on, you you kind of want guys that contribute in all facets. And that's why, Like Tommy FAM's not a massive stealer anymore, but he's going to get you 10 to 15 steals. And uh, on a good year, 20 steals. So they're they're, going to contribute a little bit everywhere so that you don't have to rely on the big, big boom. You can just kind of get a little bit from everybody as the season goes on, but then that drops off, like you're saying, pretty quickly. So like outfield, I get more aggressive because the deeper outfield guys you draft, you can get a lot of power in the outfield late, but you're not going to get power steals. You're not going to get average power steals. You might get two of those, but you're probably not going to get more than one the later you get in drafts and, you know, in like other positions, you might be able to even like middle infield, like Colton Wong was going late not as late anymore, but uh, you can get like, you know, 15 steals and maybe 10 home runs if you're lucky, but you can't get that in the outfield later on. So it's just little things like that where you learn the player pool, you learn what you want to target. Um, you can keep track of your stats. Uh, you can do all kinds of things to see what you're short in and what you need to attack. And that kind of tells you your pockets as well. But um, it's just something I I do all the time. Like the draft I'm in right now, I have like forty players in my queue, and it's just uh, so I know when and and where I need to draft guys type thing.
1: Now, how about examples of other pockets of value? Like in terms of, um, I guess this this sort of gets into our we can we can jump into our conversation about drafting backwards. And one thing I noticed about your drafts is like you mentioned Reese Hoskins, you got him in around fourteen, which um, I don't know that must be close to pick two hundred around it mm-hmm. around. Well, yeah. If price was 196, then it's 198. So it's almost pick 200. Um, and then, pa- Toby, you took Nate Lowe um, in round 12. And I had uh, John Al on my podcast first, and he was sort of lamenting taking Bobby Dahl back before Nate Lowe. And he's like, eh, I don't know if I would have done that anymore. Uh, Nate Lowe, uh, it was a good value at, it looked like, yeah, it's around pick 300, which is where, where he's going. And I find you can get those, that first base position around like, I think it's a good value where you can get some of these first basemen, but then at the same token, you don't want to, like, if you wait and wait, you could get boxed out, which is, which is of course the risk. Right. So talk about like drafting backwards and and what, like if you see a position or a stat that, you know, this year, you can get later and then, and then
3: how, and how that helps you draft backwards. Go for it, Toby. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a lot of what, you know, doing these early prep prep drafts, like doing the DCs is helpful to recognize. It's, I think it's both a, a speed, it's both a categorical thing. And it's also, there's like a couple of lenses I think you need to view it from. There's the categorical piece, like you mentioned, Zach, for instance, I remember like last year, I just felt in such a desperate need to get stolen bases early on. And I still feel that way now, but I do feel like there's, a window in which stolen bases are available uh, in, in that, in those kind of middle rounds, you know, you have like a Tommy Edmond, you have like a layout Tavares and there's always going to be, you know, a larger range of outcomes for them. That includes being God awful or, or not even playing, mm-hmm. you know, when you take some of those guys, but knowing that there's those high upside guys that you can get, I think the challenge with DC's always is, you know, is you don't have fab to lean back on. So I feel more comfortable taking those types of guys, you know, later on. But um, so I think there's recognizing those pieces like home runs later on. I just think that there's a ton of home runs available. Right. But it's also recognizing that if I'm going to wait on first base, I think Bubba mentioned a bunch of the first baseman that it was kind of a late pocket. Like if I miss out on some of the earlier guys, you know, after Goldie, it's just like, I'm just going to wait. I mean, I kind of like Josh Bell, But, you know, there's Yuli Gurriel, there's Carlos Santana, there's Nate Lowe, there's, you know, Reese Hoskins, there's all these guys, but they all have a very similar profile. And so for me, if I'm, if I'm in that space where I need batting average, I know that Yuli Gurriel is kind of the last frontier for first baseman that can also get me batting average, which gives him a little bit of a unique profile. Whereas some of those other guys are kind of a little bit together, but recognizing where they, where they might Um, struggle similarly with shortstop i mean shortstop everybody's like shortstop so deep it's so deep it's so deep it's so deep but you also have like 15 guys going in the top 50 picks and once you get out of there you know the guys are maybe a little bit more weak and there isn't as much speed and then but then you also have this pocket of shortstops going between pick 300 and 350 that's like jp crawford uh, miguel rojas now andrelton simmons which is going to hurt you in power, but, you know, has some speed that you can kind of add as a, as a piece. An- no, What's that? Al- Elvis Andrews. Yeah. Elvis Andrews now. Elvis. I mean, I think there's, there's even one other guy that I'm, that I'm forgetting. There, but Galvis. There's, there's, there's those guys. Yeah. Not Freddie Galvis even now, which sounds ridiculous, but he's in mm. Baltimore. He appears to be playing every day. I mean, he's a 15, 15 guy, maybe 15, 10 guy, you know, from that spot you know, that that's decent. So you look at that. I mean, second base is is a little bit scary, but there's even some guys, I mean, just recognizing that Jonathan scopes back there. So even if you're looking for a middle infielder or backup second baseman and you need power on your team, you have that Evan Longoria at third base, like, you know, so just recognizing where either these guys are, or, or there, there's a pocket of value. And then what the drop-off looks like, I think is so essential. And that's part of, what you need to weigh is both position scarcity within the draft position, scarcity and categorical, you know, scarcity. And you, if you think about it as a Venn diagram, there's only so many guys that fit in your team, you know, like that are in the middle, right. That, that meet the need that you have both in terms of the position that you need and the category that you need. And so just kind of thinking about it in that way, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of, of talking about it, but it's similar with catcher. Catcher after Christian Vasquez goes, it's like, be my guest. I mean, who, you know, they're all like pretty much the exact same low batting average 15 to 25 home run, maybe getting two thirds of the start guys, you know? So it's just like, I think, I don't know. I ramble on Bubba, Bubba knows it way too well, but there's just with each position, there's kind of those things that you need to be aware of in a draft. And it's painful when you miss them because it happens even if you know you're there. So are you, are, are there any um, instances? And I've been doing
1: this year. I don't know if I'm right or wrong doing this where I've actually passed up the best player on the board um, at the time, mm-hmm. because I know that I can get, the, like, I know that I'm going to be getting a relative value. Like at first base, like, I, like I'm, I'm, all, I'm making a conscious effort not to draft draft Luke Floyd. I don't want Vladdy just, I'm, I'm, even though like, I sometimes think of the best I'm saying, no, Zach, don't, draft them because I know I'm going to be getting um, a, a Delta later on or which, which I'm going to, which I'm going to have to pass on them because I'm going to fill up my roster.
2: Oh yeah. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Cause where you're not taking Voit or Vladdy, you might be taking a more superior, say second baseman compared to the second base pool or another pitcher that you need that compared to the pitcher when you take Reese Hoskins will be completely different. So you're, you you got to look at the whole pitcher trade off there and, Realize that okay, Luke Voigt's really he he can be really, really good, but if he regresses, which is very possible and very likely, he could regress to what Reese Hoskins is and a handful of rounds later, where that starting pitcher, he probably still is your SP three or whatever on your team, and you're not gonna find that SP three where Reese Hoskins is going. So that that's where you have to like best player on the board is 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 good and all, but it's just like we like you've seen a lot on Twitter lately. ADP is just a tool. It's not uh, the go-to must have type thing. So it's good to keep you honest and let you know kind of where things are going, but especially in these drafts, where you're playing with sharks, ADP is thrown out the window. Anyways, it's more of a, just a reference. Like, Hey, this, this section of the player pool, like if you're drafting backwards or whatever is getting small quick. So you might want to start figuring out, are you going to jump in this little crew at this position or do you have a backup plan? And that's what you have to start figuring out while you're drafting. So there's nothing wrong with, with, with going past the quote-unquote best available player you just gotta think of your your team construction as a whole what plan you're trying to draft with and there's nothing wrong with that at all
1: the way i sort of think about adps it's sort of like um when you when you're playing poker it's like they say play the player don't play the cards and i i feel like um playing playing the playing the cards would just be doing a draft and just uh, drafting off your ranking list but yep. using ADP, you're sort of playing your opponent, you're playing the card. So you're saying like, you know what? Like I know this person's going, like, I, I think there's um, there's value in in this player. So I'll say Reese Hoskins. I think there's value there. So I, instead of pushing all in, in if you value me in the 10th round, you're sort of slow playing, you're, you're slow playing your hand, right? You're playing the player. And, and it doesn't always can,
2: work. Sometimes that backfires. Sometimes Rob DiPietro takes him. Yeah, Rob, but, <laughs> Rob but. DiPietro to, uh, hits
1: an inside <laughs> straight.
2: But you you, you take those gambles sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, my last qu- my last question on on talking about working backwards is you talk about guys like Longoria and then you mentioned Jonathan Scope. Like, what makes me uncomfortable with that approach is that if I'm waiting on them, like I like to have a backup at each position in these 50 round drafts. And if you're taking that as your if you're taking say Jonathan Scope as your first sec- first second baseman, who's your second second baseman? Like, is it like Josh Rojas?
3: Yeah, I mean, scope scope hopefully is not your your starting second baseman. <laughs> Although, like, it's starting totally it's totally um yeah it's totally possible. I mean, the thing is, I think kind of reiterating what Bubba mentioned, like, you know, you take the you, the idea of the best player to me is kind of like a fascinating thing. I mean, I was thinking about this a lot this this morning because I think about these things randomly, but it's like we play a game we don't control, you know it's like, I don't control like how each player does, right? Like I I make a pick that is designed to be the best pick for my, for my team. But the idea that we like have some sort of knowledge predisposed as to who is going to be the better player, I think is a little bit of like, uh, is is a little bit of a fallacy. They can be higher in our rankings. They could be higher in our valuations they can be higher in those things but the difference between like especially when you're talking about later in drafts the difference between those players in terms of what their likely range of outcomes is is very very small even like 10 the 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 difference between your pick third in the 30th round and your 40th round is like you know they're all negative right At, at a certain point And so you always have to choose the best player for your team. And so, in the example that I was talking about, is like, you know, you just need to be thinking about in the context of your team what gives you the best chance to win. And oftentimes, that isn't the best player that's on the board, you know, especially in a DC where you don't, there is no second chance, right? There's no second chance to. To go back and fab whatever guy doesn't hit, you know you need to think about insurance. You think, need to think about spreading risk. You need to be, think about all these concepts together. So I guess like that's my little thing that I'm trying to focus on a little bit this year is like is like I don't I don't play this game like it's not me who's up and like batting. And so my job as I build a team is to, to, to try to create a team that I think is going to be the best team out there while also taking in all these factors that. That I can control for, like you know, balanced approach or taking the upside guys in the right spot, or you know, all of these different things that take into consideration a lot of different factors. So I don't know if that answers your question at all, but I, I do think like because I don't know, there's just so much shade that people give, like oh, don't you know, don't rely on the ADP or like there's all these kind of cliches we have that are kind of like you know there's so many different calculated risks you take within a draft Mm -hmm. you know you just try to do the best that you can for your team I don't know anyways did that make any sense guys it did it did to me I think that was great okay um Bubba you're my like you're my like bullshit meter like did that that, <laughs> that made some some kind of sense at
2: all yeah I, i've heard it from you before so i i okay. it makes tons of sense that's why These I, are I was the things i
3: think kid. about you know like you're taking. i'm, I'm taking a shower i'm like nah. toby, see, bullshit you. See, and,
2: and toby and toby says that i i, I know that he talks a lot but see i let him talk because eventually he, he finds a new thing it's like all of a sudden a new thing dawns on him and we have revelations. You know, is I, that my brain works?
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, blessing and a curse. Honestly, like this baseball season, I've been more immersed into it. Like I just start things start popping in your head that you don't even like without even you wanting it to happen. Like I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you an embarrassing story. Actually, I uh, I was um, like when I go to sleep, I'll sort of like doze off and I'll like talk a little bit. And then I was like, actually, it, like I'm doing these drafts and they, they, they run until the, the clock stops at 2 AM here. So it's, it's late. So I'm, I'm it's,
3: it's brutal. I feel bad for East coast people, by the way, being a no, West I'm coaster like, on these yeah. drafts. Oof. I'm in bed.
1: My wife's in bed and I'm like dozing off of my phone and then um, I'm dozing off. I sort of talk, but like I talk a little bit as I'm trying to go to sleep and I just go, Oh, uh, Kim, because I was thinking about drafting like, uh, uh, the next morning, she's like, you were saying Kim in your sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I was like, look, I was trying, I was about to draft uh, this guy in the Padres. Yeah, so, but I, I don't know, I'm just, all these things just like, yeah, it's just like, it's just so like on your mind right now when baseball season's about to start like, there's random things, like I'll just like, I'll, I send you random things and like I sent you like random, like ideas that might like give you an edge. One thing I was thinking about today actually, and this wasn't like in our agenda or anything, Um, I'll preface it by saying that Schwarber wasn't that good last year, but the NL central, I was looking at the the handedness of the pitchers and like how many lefties are in each division. There's four lefties, which is a small amount in the NL central that are projected to be in the starting rotations, which is a lot like for, for for perspective, the AL East has 10 because like the Jays have three now with match Robbie Ray and Ryu, um, Now, Jock Peterson just got traded to the Cubs and he's a lefty, right? And he's predominantly been a platoon bat and, but they're saying that he could be batting against lefties too. But like, that's something that like, I don't know how to really make that applicable, but like the left, I'll just tell you the lefty that I was looking a little bit further. The lefties that are in that division are, I think Lauer, your boy, um, who's not that great. Wait, Wade
3: Miley. Excuse me. Excuse (laughs) me. You invite me on this podcast. (laughs) And then you criticize Eric
1: Lauer.
2: I, I fully support you there on that one.
3: How how
1: dare
2: you?
3: I was looking at their
1: stats. Was was it him that I think he had? I think he has. Was he the one that had that has re- reverse splits? One of, the, one of these guys does. I think. Okay. I'll, I'll, I think I'll, it's my.
2: I think it's Miley.
1: Wade Miley was actually decent against lefty. Like he had a good record against lefty. Lefty's in a small sample size, but he's like, no, he's not a top end pitcher by any means. Wade Miley. And then you have um, who else is in that division? You have um, um Stephen uh, Brault. Cardinals, who was, I think, equally good against lefties and righties last year. He was good. Um, and then who else am I missing? Stephen Brault. Uh, correct. Stephen Brault um, was actually... was So either, I forget, I was looking at Brault or Lauer, they had actually reverse splits. So they, they the lefties performed better against them. I forget which one it was. But though, anyways, those, those are the only two. Um, so they literally the only four lefties in that division. And I think the, the AL Central, if they sort of crossover like that this year play. I think there are some matchups um, in like NL to AL in the same um, central versus central. Like there I think it's, I think it's, I think it's
3: like an, a typical 162 game schedule. Right. Okay.
1: I, but I think like the, um, the interleague play, um, that's what I, 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 didn't mean it was oh, okay. last year. I think the interleague play, like I think divisions stick with divisions. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'd, have, I'd have to look at the schedule. I have to pull it out, but I'm not hundred mm-hmm. percent sure on that. Anyways, regardless, just the NL central being the NL central, getting more games. Jock Peterson that's a small point i know i've um, already spent probably too much time on this small point but that's uh, just something just something i thought about yeah it's
2: definitely a way to increase their uh, their quote unquote respected value that's for sure
1: yeah maybe the, maybe the cubs were thinking that because like things haven't really changed like, things haven't really shifted that much bowers out of the division but that's not he wasn't a lefty but Darvish. So, so. it gives, gives you a little bit more i guess hope with um, just a little tinge more hope with jock peterson i guess mm
2: mm-hmm. mhm
1: but like I said, Schwarber wasn't that great last year and he got, he was facing all NL central basically. Um, next thing I wanted to discuss with you guys, and we were, uh, this just came up today is the ball being, uh, the ball being deadened. There was an announcement today. So we were talking, we have our, we have our, we have our group chat. um, um, and by the way, Toby, you're, you're awesome in this group chat because there's so much going on. And like, I don't think either of you can keep up with all of it. Um, I can't, and um,
2: no, not not a chance
1: like um it's funny because like there's been so many times where like everyone posts news as soon as the news comes out somebody posts like the news just to just to show everyone just to like get everyone's thoughts and then molina got signed today toby you're not usually in the chat but then somebody i think i don't know if you posted the molina did you post the molina
3: news no matt
1: williams i think did yeah he, matt williams did and then you just you chime and you say sort of to have a, you have your mic drop moment you're like yeah, I guess this league's wrapped up now because you, you drafted uh, Molina. I think people were like, we were,
3: there were yeah. some kind of- I, I drafted, I drafted Molina, I think. And then like the next day, there was an article that came out like, Molina considering retirement. Yeah, you know? And I'm just like, oh, God, I think I drafted a, another catcher like high up for that reason. Did I? High up uh,
2: like- You um, had Salvi Perez in round five.
3: Oh yeah, maybe, maybe not. I think Kurt, maybe- I, Jonah yeah, high. I
1: Actually, know. Jonah Heim might, I don't know if he increases or decreases his value.
3: But, I don't. I don't understand that. I mean, I in my current draft, somebody drafted Jonah Heim at like pick four hundred. And do people not realize like Jose Trevino was
2: really pretty good? good? Yeah,
3: like he, his projection is it's not is bad. very good too. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he's really good contact had decent. And he, hit, metrics. and he was hitting
2: like cleanup for the Rangers in the last like few weeks. Yeah. He's, he's like,
3: fired. he's like 28, 29. Like yeah, they man. need a backup catcher. Every, people were drafting Sam Huff in like the top 400. That's I mean, the, those the people who backfired from the early drafts. Yeah. Like so you think drafting early can be helpful. That's where it could hurt you. That, but that's understandable too, because Kirk, if he plays and he still has a chance to play, I mean, guys can get, injured. Kirk, he, like, can get if he plays, he plays he's a, he's, he's a league winner. Like if he plays as a D8, so trying to get a league winner at pick 300 or something like that is a different story than drafting Sam Huff, you know, 20 to 30 picks later, you know, it's like don't draft a guy with a 40% K rate. Yeah. So what was I saying? Um, actually you, um,
1: I was looking at Heim because I drafted uh, Sean Murphy in this draft and then I waited just a little bit too long and and you snatched him away. But where what was like what were we talking? We we're talking about Baseball. the ball, and then we were talking about yeah, something. So we were, yeah we were talking about the chat, and then you come in and you say, you know what, league's, league's over. We, I drafted. Um, you were sort of just being facetious, and you're saying league, league league's over. Um, I I got Molina, and, and another, another time you you chime in, and I think uh, everyone like during the draft, everyone was like sniping everyone, and well, lots sniping, but everyone was getting mainly Dave. Um, Dave McDonald was saying in the chat. And I think that they kept saying, oh, I wanted this person. I wanted this person. And it was just going on and on and on. And every time somebody was taking them, everyone's like, oh, I want them. Like, of course it's a good pick. And then Toby chimes in like, I don't know
3: where he's like, you know what, If you want a guy? You should
1: draft them. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I well,
3: I think, I just think it's funny because we get in these drafts, it's like pick 340, you know? And it's like, guys, there's no sniping at a certain point. It's like, you have an opportunity to draft these guys and it's all actually, you know, um, uh, draft cheat, uh, Peter Christensen, he had, a really, he had a really good thing about this after the drafts last year where he's like, you can't say you really like a guy and then not have shares of them because then you <laughs> don't really like that guy, right?
2: So Because it's like,
3: I mean, there's reasons to like every player, but it's like the guys who you get repeatedly because you're drafting them earlier than other guys are the guys you really like. And so I understand that people are just having fun and being like, oh, it's fun to like share in the like, you know, I really like this guy, but it's just it was I I just think it's funny. So I just I had to weigh in to be like, oh, you you wanted to draft the same guy that I drafted at pick four, fifteen. Like, <laughs> guess what? You could have drafted him like, you know, he's worth a dollar at that point. So like you could have drafted him, you know, for two dollars, like three rounds earlier. Yeah, so. no, I think it's funny. I think it's just like everyone just. I think it was just great because everyone
1: was so engaged in the draft and like having a good time. But, but yeah, I know. I thought, no I thought, thought, you, I thought
3: your group chat. If good. you want to have a good time, guys. I thought your combo was. A, I'm just a downer. No,
1: I think it was great. <laughs> um, so yeah, the ball. Um, we were talking about it a bit in the group chat today, and we were talking about. I think Matt posted something about, um, um, home run distance, and then I was talking about the exit velocity, and then it gets into launch angle as well. So you want to look at. I think um, I saw something where um, you look at the the hits. Somebody put po- Somebody also posted something with about hits um, between twenty degrees and forty five degrees, I think, or fifteen and forty five, that were going between ninety five and one hundred and five. I think that might have been Connor that posted that. Um, I could be wrong, but um, yeah,
2: Connor Kirkin did.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I read that as well. So it's all interesting stuff. You don't. I'm. Don't, I'm not really sure what to look at. I don't think you can just look at the the home run distance by itself. I think that's. No. It, it's. Whatever it it's not completely useless, but I think exit velocity is like how hard are you hitting it? Because yeah, CJ Crone hits like 360 foot home runs, but they're fucking ropes that are like 18 degrees in the mm-hmm. launch angle. So and those would I think those the CJ Crone's home runs are out regardless of what kind of ball. Like there can be a yeah. wiffle ball.
2: <sighs> no, I'm with you. That that's the thing is there's lots of ways to look at it. Um, I know like they said, Cattell Marte on that list, Maddie had and it's like well he had two home runs. Like Colt Wong, I just wrote an article on him. He had one home run. And you look at, like, he's he's an example for me because, like, last year alone, his he usually goes to right field or center field, but he went hard to left field last year, which I don't know if it was uh, on purpose. I don't think it was based on all his other metrics. But going the opposite way, we know a pulled barrel goes out of the park a lot more often than an opposite field barrel. So these are all things that kind of go into play, plus the ballpark. There's just – a lot of factors involved there. He played one of the worst home run ballparks in baseball. Now he's going to be in Miller Park, so that could change this year. Uh, Cattell Marte had the back injury, shortened season. There's, like, so many factors to 2020 alone. I'm not too worried about that. Uh, when you check out the article, like Simeone mentioned in the chat, they're guessing, estimating a 5% drop on home runs. Yeah, that's going to hurt overall, but if it's, like, how do you – I'm not a, a genius. I know um, Derek Carty said he's going to update his bat rankings, like, tonight or – the next couple of days It'd be interesting to see how much he takes off. It's all pure speculation right now. Cause really, there's no way for us to fight out, say it, what it's going to be. Cause even in spring training in Arizona, the ball is going to fight no matter what you do to the baseball. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough to tell. Plus I think the more important part, which I figured they should have done besides deadening the baseball, is they're talking about putting humidors in more ballparks, just put a humidor in every ballpark to so this and make the settings all different. So that in the end, they all make the same baseball and just play ball. That's the way I see it.
1: Yep. That's interesting. I think it's all, it's all relative, too. Like, everyone's, yeah. Getting, like, their, their, their percentage of home runs are going down. I guess you're going to
2: see gonna ball, be, hit ball, hit ball hard. You'll be okay.
1: I guess the home run hitters are going to lose the most home runs. So, I guess if you've put all your eggs in like an Alonzo basket or a Eugenio Suarez basket, maybe like a little bit, it's going to hurt you a little bit. I don't think those are the
3: dude I don't think those
1: are the No, those balls are, are still flying out. out. Like they're, yeah. It's,
2: it's going it's to hurt like Brandon Lau.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Really, I haven't. Look, I haven't looked at him specifically. I'm just
2: off the top of my head. I could be totally wrong, but yeah. those are the kind of guys that stand out. That Biggio. are going to be. Biggio's a guy. Biggio was on the like wow, Wilmer B-G-O Flores with the Giants, stuff like so I,
3: that. Biggio, I didn't come out here with the Blue Jays hat to denigrate every Blue Jay that comes up in these conversations, but Biggio's max exit velocity in his career is 104 miles per hour. That's not good, Bob. It's like, literally it's like Billy Hamilton has hit a ball 104 <laughs> miles per hour before. I mean, it's a major issue. So I do think it's a big show thing, but I think that the challenge too, is I think you need to look at, you need to look at batted ball spray and like consistency of that. There's very few guys that can pull the ball down the line for home yeah. runs consistently, but there are certain guys who can do it and those guys aren't going to be hurt as much. You know, I think it's like your middle guys that are going to be hurt the most, you know, you're like, The guys who all of a sudden have been hitting 20 to 25 home runs that used to be at like 15 but I think it's all conjecture and you know I think the biggest thing for me is pitchers actually I think fly ball pitchers are the biggest beneficiaries of this because I think always like a guy like Max Scherzer even you know Scherzer you know he was a super high fly ball pitcher throughout his career and he he did he was very successful in doing that and I don't have his stats in front of me but like You know, those are the types of guys that are hurt by those balls that just like kind of get out of there because of the volume that they're giving up. Yeah, Bauer Bauer actually improves it. It was funny. I was in a text chain with some of my buddies and they were like, they're Mets fans. And they were like, just tell me that it hurts Bauer. And I was like, no, it actually helps them out. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting thing to look at is is your fly ball pitchers. It could actually benefit them just Babbitt wise. It's kind of like, uh, Joe Sheehan was talking about it on on Twitter, where he was just saying like, "Oh, you 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 didn't like three outcomes. Now you're going to get your two outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to strike out, walk, and you're going to hit a fly ball that's an out now. You know, <laughs> instead of hitting a home run." And it's not totally true, but it's kind of true, you know. So,
2: like Alex Fast tweeted out the top ten home run to fly ball race in 2020. You some make sense, like Kyle Gibson, you had, uh, Alec Mills, Boyd, they had Nola's on. He's fourth, Maeda fifth, Cole sixth. Freeland, Savali, Gallon, and Bieber's 10th. So you have some big names on there that just imagine if those guys' home run numbers go down even more. Or even, say, Boyd, who he knows like the Boyd boys, maybe he drops a couple of home runs. Now all of a sudden he's a low-four ERA guy with all the strikeouts. Things are a little more appealing. So you never know.
3: Yeah. And, And one thing that you said in the article is that it could be back to, like, 2017 is where there was a similar, I think, dynamic with the ball. And the home run per fly ball rate there, the league average was 13.7%, which is still higher than, you know, kind of your traditional 12-ish percent home run to fly ball rate. Um, so, you know, it's not like it's, it's going to drop off a cliff, but, you know, I, I, think, I think the idea is generally like, you know, it's like anything in the ex- – like in the middle, it's going to impact people pretty consistently, but at the extremes – you know, is where you're going to see guys who are kind of impacted. So your extreme fly ball pitchers, you know, are going to be more impacted. And you know, like, yeah. Anyways, that, that's that's at least that's like kind of a little bit of the approach that I'm taking um, in thinking about it. But the challenge is there's now five more stadiums with humidors, and we don't know where they're going to be. You know, it's like why we're going to find, find have, out. Why the aren't they starts. in
2: every stadium? Like well, it makes yeah. no sense to, to cherry pick where they're going to be? It's so dumb. Yeah.
3: I don't
1: know. What, you know what? I, I it's done the I, dead in just...
2: the baseball chicks dig the long ball did we not learn this back in the 90s like just let them hit home runs Keep i, it did, I them. did the
1: long ball too <laughs> um yeah they, they, what, same I,
3: article I same article it said that there were there was five teams that were adding humidors oh they didn't say yeah. which ones yeah they didn't
1: say
2: which
3: ones yeah it was it was not random it just so five teams have opted yeah. to do that
2: no, but I'm saying why don't all of them do? Why is it just random teams are starting to put humidors in? Why well, isn't every team but a humidor? I
3: think they're eventually gonna get to that point. I don't know what the what's involved, but it made it seem like, you know, it's kind of a trend that will at some point impact every team, but
2: it makes too much sense.
1: So hey Bubba, before we get into our, our listener questions, I just thought I just thought of a question now, just just randomly, but they, I, I think, in San Fran, they, um, they like they, they did something to make it the ball yes. go up more last year. What was these the some sort of like?
2: Well, there's there's archways in right field like that you can stand and watch the game. They're open to the public for free, and uh, since they didn't want people gathering because of COVID, they mm-hmm. closed those. And those archways usually had water coming off the or wind coming off the water that would help keep the ball in the ballpark. So that didn't happen. So the balls flew better.
1: I want to look something up right now and I want to ask you about Buster Posey. I'm going to lo- look at his projections. So he's, he's going to hit for like. He's going to hit two home runs instead of three now. <laughs> Easy.
3: He's like, Easy. At like
1: anywhere between seven to nine home runs in, yep. in these projections. And yeah, he didn't hit like that's pretty much what he did in 2019 and 18. But do you think he can have any positive regression or I don't know positive? I don't know if you can well, call it that, but do you think he can hit more home runs?
2: I think he could get to like 10-ish, but the thing that's beautiful about Posey now is he's still going to hit for average. They'll still put him at first base from time to time. And now he's going around 17 instead of like the fifth catcher off the board or whatever. He's going forever. Like I've never rostered Buster Posey until this year because I'd never paid a premium for him because I knew he wasn't going to be this monster. He's a great batting average asset, but he wasn't what the other guys are. Now he's actually like, you know, he's going right around Yachty Molina. They're to me pretty similar guys for the most part, but, um, don't, act, don't look for massive improvements, but the batting average will be there. They'll score some runs, so he'll drive some runs in, but he's not the guy he used to be by any means.
1: Right. Okay. So to our questions, we had a couple questions on Twitter um, that um, I'm going to read out right now. This one is from A. Greki, not Granky, A-G-R-I-E-K-E. No end. Who, is, who is the guy you feel is the best value right now? So that's a very vague question. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, do you even want to answer? Do you want to answer this one? Does anyone want to take this one?
2: Uh, it's, who it's who gets
1: a crown? Who who wins? Who wins the value
3: contest right now? That's like yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't anything, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, it's probably like a
2: catcher, honestly. It's a catcher, or it's some kind of like metal infielder that all of a sudden gets a full time job somewhere. I don't know. Jonathan Scope. Scope could be that guy at the moment, based on draft price you could say see, like jock peterson honestly like even before you talked i do love him playing every day i'm not saying he's the ultimate value but where he's going in drafts right now i think he should be going closer to where sorber's going for sure so
1: yeah second base too
2: yeah it's it's, it's just tough there's it's a, it's a very open ended question
1: <laughs> it's probably somebody going in around
3: 50 <laughs> it's pro- honestly. probably
1: honestly um, plicement
2: didn't even get drafted
3: yeah i mean if i were to guess just a guy that i have a ton of who i think is severely underpriced right now i'm just trying to check like one of the more underpriced he looks what's that one of the milwaukee brewers pitchers no Uh, he's not that underpriced according to my spreadsheet but um is miguel cabrera i have miggy like everywhere um he, his stat cast data was much better than it has been for a number of years last year. I think he's going to play util. They've also talked about getting him some reps at first base as well. So he's going to get first base player. eligibility. What's that? You know, he's going to play the utility player on the Tigers.
1: He's going to play all over
3: the diamond. No, no, just, just first in DH, but-
1: um, I'm just joking because you said util. He's going to play util for the Tigers, but it's like in fantasy it's util, but in real,
3: real life- it's Yeah, just in just real life he'll be util as I'm well, yes. You will be. So I just, I think he's, I think he's kind of interesting. Actually somebody who jumps. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that's the guy that I would say, like, I have a crap ton of shares. Uh, I-, I have him on a bunch of teams, all but one team, I think right now. Um, wow. Because that's- I just think that he's, you know, he's going to pick like four thirty something like that. Uh, he should play virtually every day, as long as he can stay healthy and, I think he can still hit for average. I think he hit 10 home runs last year. I think in the shortened season, right? Had highest max exit velo, highest exit velo, ha- highest exit velo on uh, line drives and fly balls in three or four years. Um, and so, okay, let's let's do one more one more round for Miggy. Yeah. Uh, do you, now?
1: Do you do you um, not want to have um, exposure to certain? I guess, player, uh, like a certain amount of players in your drafts, like, do you want to diversify? Like, do you mind having, like, 80% exposure
3: to Miggy? I guess if you, like, your question is, like, how late does a player have to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not as worried about exposure in DCs when I'm later on in DCs. Like, I certainly want to have, you know, I want to diversify it in the core of my team, generally speaking. Um, but later on in DCs, I, don't, I do not diversify at all. Like, because I think there's a limited Sam there's a limited group of players that I see as possessing some sort of upside. And I want to have as many of those guys as possible because part of my diversification is I have like 20 of them. And so I'm not going to get them in every single draft, but if, if four or five of those guys hit out of that 20, you know, it can make right. a huge difference on my, on my team. You now, know? Bubba, when, so, you're in these, when you're in these drafts, do you want to get as much Mitch Keller as possible?
2: he's one i have a lot of Yes, i noticed you, that, you, i've been you, in a you, few
1: drafts with you already
2: <laughs> you nailed me there he's he's one of my guys from even last year And toby hates him so let's not go down this road right now um he's very anti mitch keller but he's gonna be wrong this year i know he's gonna be wrong but uh yeah there's, there's a handful of guys I, I i try to i try to not diversify too much unless it's like early in drafts but it's, it's usually not on purpose like i have my guys and it's one of those kind of things i go to battle with who i like and who i believe is the best player at the time and we're going to roll, but uh, yeah, Mitch Keller is one I have circled quite a bit.
1: There's a couple of pitchers in that range that I really like, but um, it's tough because Mitch Keller is one of them. Like I don't have, I, I probably have the least of him, um, but there's probably four or five of them um, that aren't, don't have like any guaranteed of guarantee that they're going to be like entrenched in the starting rotation. If they're going to get enough innings or if they're going to be really good. So, but you, but you're still having to take them like, at a point where they're a starter on your team, so Mitch yep. Keller would be one of them. Um, another guy um, is Freddie Peralta. On the Love Freddie Peralta. And then um, another guy would be um, uh, T.J. Anton. Don't know what his role is, right? It's Toby's um, guy. So they're they're tough to take there, but if you but the thing is, like, and there's other guys. On th- there's other guys on this list, right? Um, but if you don't take them there, you're not going to get them. I'll tell you that for sure. And like from being in these drafts, like in these DCs. So that's what I, that's what I sort of struggle with, because you're, you're, you're taking these guys where maybe, so maybe you do fill that your staff first and you, and you take them as like your 10th pitcher, but then, I mean, that means you've left holes in your offense. So then you're going to be grabbing like a Jason Hayward or Gregory Polanco or Jonathan scope, if you're lucky as your starter. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that's one of the, that's one of the fun things about these drafts. Right. So, but it's one of the, also the challenging things.
3: I don't really draft pitchers in, in DCs at all during that period of time, pretty much I'm like almost hundred percent hitters from pick 300 to 400. Right. Because that's where that's the last, it's the last stand of guys who get consistent plate appearances. And it's like, that's all I want. So generally my, in a DC I'll take, I won't even fill in my staff. I'll have like six or seven pitchers and then I'll go six to eight hitters straight in that part of the draft before I get another pitcher. Like why well, draft Mitch Keller when I can get JT Brubaker, who's better. You know, like, oh, well, yeah, I'm I'm and then I can, um, on top of that, that get joke. Stephen Brault, who's also better. Oh, did you
2: see and Stephen Brault on my team, by the way?
3: Well, I mean, I'm just saying, theoretically.
1: <laughs> so I'm just I'm just looking at your team here. I'm just seeing, um, so you have two, uh, Darvish and Ola, then you have four other pitchers in a row. And then you have Hicks in round 19. So you're right. So yeah, you um, you have six, seven. So yeah, you didn't fill out their pitching staff until well after you've got your backup like bench.
3: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's like at that point, I'm just going volume, right? I'm going with, higher upside guys. So I have, I have what I have five starting pitchers. So essentially I'm looking to fill like one to two of those slots. And then to Drew
2: smiley. So is that really five like, starting pitchers?
3: <laughs> <and then> 4.5. <laughs> so then I have like Quancho, Rogers, Reyes, Aiken, Irena, Lauer, Berea Anderson, Lopez, Hoffman, you know, all those guys more relievers to fill in those, those two, th- those one to two spots right there. So in my my mindset,
1: and I could be wrong here. So I'm thinking like all the guys that like the, that I like that are going around three hundred. Those are my shots to be your Corbin Burns, to be your Zach, please access year. I don't see anyone there. Maybe it could be wrong. I mean, I'm just not, maybe I'm just not seeing it. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm Can you not to- see Eric Lauer?
3: I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't see it. I see, I see Freddie Peralta. Man, if if you don't see Eric Lauer, like I I can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm lost. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm uncoachable. I, I mean, the thing is, what I'm hoping from the guys that go there though is I'm hoping for like a low fours ERA, a one two five one a one three whip, you know, the something like that. Heard, that's I've all I need heard, from those guys, right? I've heard you also say that you don't want to be streaming pitchers this year, like in a fab
1: league, right? And we'll get into that. I think that's that's one of the questions we had from Triple Captain Graham. Um, yeah, I mean, I think,
3: I think DCs and, and fab leagues are entirely different. The strategy is, is a hundred percent different in DC, like DCs. I do things that I will, that I will not do in like, like I will, I won't attack hitters the same way that I, I do in a fab league you know, fab changes the dynamic, like a hundred percent. Like I don't even need 14 hitters that play on a regular basis. In a fab league, you so know, like I, I don't about... need I don't need 14 hitters that I feel really good about in my lineup, you know, like in a fab league. So
1: you'd rather this is something that Dave has said. I don't know if it's on this podcast, but he says it's just so much less risk streaming hitters, and there's so much more upside. Is something that he said because you can stream like in cores, uh, platoons, totally. So can, can we can we relate? Um, dra- can we relate three things drafting your bench in these DCs or I don't know, I guess just DCs in generals and, and then fab in a 15 team versus a 12. So 15 team versus 12 versus a 15 team DC. Is, there, is that even comparable? Or is there, I guess it is, but it's, it's sort of hard to discuss all the three of them together. Maybe I'm trying to group too many thoughts into one.
2: I'd say a DC, your quote unquote bench, you kind of hope you have visions that they can actually start for you at times where When you're drafting your 12 teams, especially, even your 15s, but your 12s definitely, you've heard like Vlad and Scott Jensen and a lot of these guys, and Toby's a phenomenal fab guy. So that's one reason I love picking his brain on that is when you're drafting those leagues with fab, you're probably burning, like turning and burning the bottom of that roster. You're like, I think Scott Jensen actually said it this past week. There's a good chance that your bench players that you drafted, 70% of them will be gone by like the first month to month and a half of the season. Like, you're just the idea is okay, maybe you'll catch lightning in a bottle, but you'll take some chances there. Maybe Toby doesn't, but I see what they're saying, and it makes sense to me. Like, when you're drafting after you got your secure team, knock on wood, that you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna take a chance on this guy, this guy that are still questionable to maybe get the job or breakout potential, but knowing that I might be dropping them in two weeks, and that's just the way it's gonna go. Where in a DC, you're not going to, at least when I draft, I'm not taking those chances. I'm going after guys that I want to be able to in like week 13 of the season and go, this guy's still starting for a team and I want to play him this week because he's got great matchups. not because, you know, I waited on a prospect for half the season to use him. So that's the way I view it, where you can maybe wait on a prospect that might be up in three weeks in a 12-team a league or something and roll that die. So that would be my two cents.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's like a 15 team DC is about having backups. You know, it's about plate appearances. Like, um, I can't remember. I think it was Steve Weimer on, um, on Rob DiPietro's podcast, but he was just highlighting, like, it's all about plate appearances, you know, in a DC it's like, it's a game of attrition, you know? And so what you want to do is you want to have backups at every position you want to have, played appearances, guys who are in starting roles and, and innings are less important, but, you know, you also obviously want to get innings, but being able to fill in those nine pitchers with decent pitchers, whether they're relievers or starters, I think, you know, is, is, is really critical. And for me, it's also like, just the whole idea of the league, like for me, for DCs, I mean, there's thousands of teams in DCs. So I'm going to need to get lucky in order to compete in the overall. And so I'm going to build a team to try to win my league. I'm not going to try to preclude being able to win the overall, but I'm going to try to win my league. And then if I get lucky, if everything breaks the right way, then I can maybe compete in that DC. In a 15 team league, you know, with fab. Yeah. I mean, I want to be able to, to um, I want to be able to stream hitters on a regular basis. I'm totally fine doing that, especially in today's game where there's more platoons and, things like that. I want to take more upside shots late and knowing that if, if this upside shot that I take misses, then I drop them and I move on to somebody else. You know, um, I think in 12s, it's even more about upside, especially later on in drafts as you build your team. It's even more about scarcity because that's what differentiates the players. So it's all about batting average. It's all about stolen bases for me in if I'm drafting a 12-team league because those are the scarce categories. Like some of the guys that are on, on FAB in 12-team leagues are going to have, like, 80-plus 80, 80 RBI, mm-hmm. you know? And they're just going to be sitting there, you know? Every They're going to play every day, and they're, you know, going to be hitting in the middle of the lineup, and they're just going to be there. And so you, I think you churn in all of them, but I think the way that you construct your roster, like, for a team that has FAB, I'm going to be much more focused on those pitchers that you mentioned, right? Like, I have no Freddie Peralta at all right now. I see what he could potentially be but i'm just chasing plate appearances at that point in time in the draft and so come like fab leagues yeah sure i'll probably have freddie peralta here or freddie peralta there or more josh limblom you know i know everybody loves josh limblom like stuff like that but it's just you know for me it's more about managing risk in the dcs than it is about upside necessarily because you know those upside plays are upside plays because there's a very small chance that they're going to hit or else they'd be higher up in the draft And if they blow out and they don't, they don't even have any access to plate appearances. And I drafted them pretty early on that. That sucks. You know? So would you
1: like in a 12 team, would you be looking like to fill your bench with a guy like Austin Slater rather than, I don't know. hunter dozer maybe hunter Dozier is a bit too high end but someone like no
3: it'd be like maybe it's like a a tyler o'neill would be like a better example like of a guy that i would go after late because you know we all know like he can crush it we all know he can steal bases i mean his his bat projection is 25 home runs seven stolen bases right now i think with the fowler trade but he's also you know going to hit 231 which sucks right Mm -hmm. um but his range of outcomes, you know, like at the high end of that, he hits 260, 270, you know, um, and if he plays every day for, for the Cardinals, he could hit 30 home runs and steal 15 bases, you know? He's a guy so, that's in
1: my queue right now in a DC, do you, do, you, do, you, do you, is he just as appealing to you in that 300 to 400 range in a
3: DC as he is? Yeah, I just got him at like 440 in the DC that I'm in right now. Um, yeah, but it, so it's, it's more just like that. Or I'm going to go after a closer by committee and snag a couple guys. Like Bubbe has heard me say this endlessly, but like, you know, I'm going to get Hicks and Gallegos knowing that it's ideal because if one of those two guys is the closer, then I just drop the other one and I've got a spot to churn on my bench, you know, mm-hmm. right off the bat. Right. Um, so it's just like thinking about things like that. Or maybe because Gallegos, if it's Hicks, you know, because Gallegos is higher skilled, maybe he's a guy that can be that kind of swing guy that if I don't like my matchups, he kind of can fit in there. And he also provides me with with the backup. So I think it's like, I don't know, there's just a, there's a lot of layers to think about in, in how you create it. But for me, that's kind of like the difference is the player pool, the larger the player pool gets, you know, um, or the smaller it gets, the less differentiation there is between players and the things that really stand out the scarcity becomes magnified it's why people are always like oh well in a 15 team league like um uh you know certain catchers aren't as valuable in 12 team leagues and it actually based on my valuations that's not true like JT Realmuto is more valuable in a 12 team league than he is in a 15 team league because yes the yes the um the uh the the what is the word that i'm looking for here the um replacement value the right replacement value between catcher 30 you know and catcher 24 is 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 significant but there's so much less differentiating players in a 12 team league within the player pool that the difference between catcher 24 and catcher 30 to me in my analysis at least you know and i'm not I don't know if this is right. Maybe it's wrong is, um, isn't that actually, isn't that big of a difference, right? Like, you know, they're pretty similar players because at that point in time, the line is flat mm-hmm. and it's like JT Rao Muto and maybe Sal Perez, you know, are kind of like way up here. There's more, there's just more that differentiates them from, from other players going around them in a two catcher league than, than yeah. the difference between that twenty-four and thirty catcher replacement value. So if I'm, if I'm understanding right, and I think I
1: think I think I understand what you're saying. Is you're saying that in a twelve team like um, there's there's a bigger there's a bigger difference between Real Muto and say like the twenty fourth catcher, then it then um, then uh, that delta is that delta is bigger relatively to a fifteen team league. Uh, versus when you're looking at say a Ronald Acuna versus an Avisel Garcia or, or Ronald Acuna versus say like, who, like a
3: Tyler O'Neal. Like, someone- so uh, yeah. So like, so let's say you draft JT Real in the third round and you're comparing him to Eloy Jimenez, right? Okay, that's, that's a better example. And, and, and then, you know, and then at pick 150, let's just say we're randomly drafting catchers. So let's say you draft like um, you know Vasquez or something like that, you know, um, and then at the same point in time you draft Brantley. You know uh, the difference between those two those two players, you know, like the difference between a Real Muto and and a Vasquez, and Eloy and a Brantley is like you know uh for for what's his name for real muto it's like 25 runs and 25 rbi Mm -hmm. you know for brantley and for eloy it may be 20 rbi but it's going to be less runs and you also have brantley who's got a batting average that's much higher as well so i I don't know if that is if that is conveying it that makes sense
1: but you think the thing that throws everything through a loop is like what you just said got it but then when you're deciding, should I draft JT Real Muto in the third round? You're like, okay, if I'm going to draft Eli, okay, that makes sense. But when you're, but when you're like in a, in a best ball or a points league, okay, hundred percent. But when you're in these roto leagues and you have categories to, d- to decide and you're looking at, okay, Real Muto or Randy Rosarina, that's where it gets, becomes tricky because those stolen bases evaporate. So that's, that's, that's where it's really hard to calculate.
3: Yeah. But it's like, but I guess my argument would be J.T. Rao Muto's nine stolen bases at catcher. Okay. Right? Yeah. Rosarena steals 20, right? And and True. we also have to recognize the error bars, the range of outcomes for Randy Rowe Ra- is Rosarena. The median is 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 what it is, right? But the range of outcomes is very high. If you're going to use like Ariel Cohen's new, which I think is super cool, the inter-projection inter, inter standard deviation, like you know, uh, are going to be much, much greater for a Arena, but you can still get, I can still get like a guy who's going to steal me the same amount of bases who's an outfielder at that same point in time, right? I could get a Laoti Tavares who's going to, you know, again, theoretically hit you like 240 with more stolen bases than a Arena, you know, and maybe 12 less home runs, probably, you know, similar or more runs you know and again we, we could go on this forever mm-hmm. you know but it's just like i think those are the things to think about with each player and like what they bring to the table is how how unique their profile is in comparison to the other guys that are in the pool when you talk about like the pockets of value or whatever it's going to be
1: right you know um that I, yeah, you're right. We can go on forever, I guess. When, we can when when you get further into the, the player pool and you're comparing, say, like a um, um, Yasmani Grandal and like a Tommy Pham to something else later, later on, it just becomes increasingly difficult to find those those categories that they, that those non catchers give you, like like stolen bases and, and batting average. That's I think that's that's what
3: that's a tough part. It is. Why very few people. <laughs> support me in my effort to, inc- to increase the value of catchers. It's, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around it, to be honest. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to,
1: um, I'm, and I've, I've drafted more catchers this year than I did last year for sure. So, um, I'm, and, it, and I think it makes perfect sense in, um, in best balls. I'm actually in a best ball league, league that Derek Rhodes designed he, in his own format this year. Um, and we just started our draft today and the way the, the format is it's, it's like unlike any other format. So I actually cramps the crunched the numbers, crunched the replacement value. There's nine pitchers, but there's only two outfielders. So normally, Bubba, you've you've done done a bunch of these best balls, right? I know you've you've, um, you've started a bunch of these leagues with industry people. And normally, you know the positions. Normally, there's five outfielders and nine pitchers, and the rest of the positions are the same. What he's done is he's decreased the number of outfielders to two. And um, there's um, two outfielders and only two utilities, but still kept nine pitchers. Um, Mm. And and there's there's one move a week. So there's actually fab in this league. Um, so what I did is I ran the numbers and I looked at the replacement value and JT Romuto was like insanely, insanely high in this league because it's one catcher and his replacement value over and above. He wasn't actually, if he ran just based on, I used, um, Ariel Cohen's projections, ran those projections and you compared to the replacement value, assuming that everyone drafts a certain number of these hitters. He was a number two overall hitter in this league right after Fernando Tatis. So I would, I had the. And then obviously pitching was extremely valuable because, um, like the Cole, um, Cole Bieber and DeGrom were by far, by far, like a hundred points, the most valuable players in this league. Um, and then after that, it was Tatis and then Real Muto. So I had the tw- I had the 12th pick. I was on the turn and I knew I wasn't coming around for a while. And I figured, okay, well, Real is the second best player in this league. He's not like by pick 36, there's other smart people in this league. There's no way he's still around at 36. So. I'm like, okay, my best case, I'm hoping to get like Aaron Nola and I'll take Ramuto in the first round. So, um, I took, I took JT Romuto, and I didn't even get Nola because he was already taken because of the value of pitching this league. So I ended up with Woodruff and Woodruff and JT Romuto as my
3: first two picks of this league, which is insane. I commend you though. I commend you for trusting your values and being, and going against the grain, you know?
1: Yeah, in, in in the in the points league, it's a lot easier to wrap your head around it, and then you when you see the math, you see the math, and it works, right? So, but in these roto leagues, it's still like you still have that doubt in your mind.
3: Yeah, it's so I love I love this because it's like that's what I love about roto is it's you know we I oftentimes said talk about like it, it as a puzzle, but it's like a dynamic puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a dynamic puzzle that's changing throughout the year about like all the relationships between the picks that you make during the draft. And the way that your team is constructed, and then the fab, there's so many strategic considerations, and there's so many ways that players' values change throughout the season to be able to adapt to that. It's it's absolutely fascinating because, like with the catcher conversation, um, you know, it's like it's like you know, what is the chance that you're going to get a catcher later on in a draft that approaches anything that JT Realmuto is going to do?
0: Uh-huh.
3: The, the plate appearances. It's, That's it's, like- nil, it's nil, right? I mean, which catcher is going to come out and steal nine bases, hit 25 home runs, 80 runs, 80 RBI, and hit 270 and get 500-plus plate appearances as a catcher, right? It just doesn't exist. Whereas there will be another Randia Rosarena this year, right, who comes from outfield, you know, and just puts up a monster year, mm-hmm. right? Because that, that can happen with playing time because the skill – differentiation the playing time differentiation doesn't exist on the same scale i think between other positions in catcher catcher that is was- unique in that way because you don't you know even even uh, what's what's his name the catcher on the twins who broke out um garvers were-
2: or garver garver
3: garver the previous year he had a monster season he was great he was terrific he was awesome and he also had like 50 runs and 60 rbi you know and that's considered a massive breakout with zero stolen bases hmm. you know yeah
1: that's that's interesting uh, that's interesting to uh, note because mike the always comes on here in
3: boasts how he took mitch garver and he's like that was a league winner um that year oh i mean you can still win the leagues i mean that's yeah. the thing right like it's not like you 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 choose a different I'm path than the one i'm advocating for and you automatically lose i'm just saying like these are the things that i'm thinking about as i as i think about like catcher valuation and Team construction and all of these pieces, but we've kind of gone on a tangent here. We started out, I think, yeah. with difference between 15 team DCS and Fab mm-hmm. leagues with 15 yeah. teams and 12. Last, last question.
1: I'll end it off on this, and uh, I, I just uh, still want to press on the catcher Ramuto. Do you value like <laughs> given given this is this is my last Ramuto question? Given the the, the importance of at bats in these draft champions leagues, the draft and hold leagues, do you value Ramuto more? in a draft champions league than you do in a, like a fab league because you can stream catcher or does it not, or do you just, you just like them the same?
3: At that level. And I think it's pretty similar, but as you, go but down, I value top end catchers. I mean, if you look at a lot of my teams, I'd say I have 12 teams and I would say on eight of them, I mean, I drafted a lot of our show, you know, um, kind of going go for that upside, but I have a lot of, I have a lot of two, two of the top 10 catchers in those leagues, because the thing is too, like with all of these leagues, like, you know, your goal is to get to 23 home runs per player or something like that. The minute you start introducing your catchers are going to get 15 home runs, you know, then all of a sudden you start getting down and that gives you a little bit less room to go after maybe some speed guys late who don't have as much power. So I'm always thinking about that. Like I just look at a team and I'm like, damn, I got 50 home runs from my catchers right now. Like this is sweet, you know? Um, And that makes me feel good about building it out from there. You know, even if I'm shallow in power in other places, like I can get, I can draft Justin Upton at pick 300 and he'll hit 30 home runs this year. All right. Cool. Just to close it
1: off, um, Bubba, um, I know we talked about the pockets of value, but we never really—I never got—I never got, a, I never got a, a straight answer. If there's a position that you're waiting on, what is it?
2: If there's a position I am waiting on, if you, is- got,
1: if you had to choose and there's a position you think you feel like at the back, the back end of your draft, what like in terms of your pockets of value, where do you think? What position do you think has the latest po- pocket of value?
2: Do their first base or shortstop for me like i agree with what toby said at shortstop earlier that's like the top nine we want but i don't mind that new pocket that's forming back there even polanco's going late and everything but i'm, I'm liking my first baseman if i can get my that Hoskins in the group we talked about with santana and guriel and walker that's probably where i'm going to be like you can you know it, I, you could say catcher i mean uh outfielder because you're taking five outfielders but i'm not waiting to take all five late like there's always late outfielders you can take but I'm gonna say first base. That's where I'm gonna plant my flag as first base. I'm, I'm really not taking a first baseman early in pretty much any draft I've been in.
1: I'm with you for sure. People have said outfield to me, and I felt like that last year. I felt like there's a lot of, and I, this is one of the questions I had for you guys when when I when I um, when you had when you had your outfield episode. I said where do you see? I, I said I didn't see anything late, and then Toby, you listed a couple good ones, but I don't see it as I don't, I don't I don't I'm not as confident this year in the outfield. Even
2: though there 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 are good late outfielders, but not not five that you could probably get in your draft without other guys taking them from you type thing. So I I want to get those five category guys early and then sure you can fill them in late with a couple like Justin Uptons of the world and some other guys as your fourth and fifth outfielders, that's fine. But to try to get all five of them, that's playing with fire.
3: Oh yeah. I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I I'm the same as Bubba. I think first base, I don't think I have any of the. I don't think I've drafted a first baseman in the top 100 picks. Because they're not getting used to right. one bases for the most part, except for Bellinger. But, no. Um, yeah. I you know think... who is super interesting now, which I hate to say because I I have zero. I've drafted him zero times, is Keston Kira. <laughs> Keston <Hura laughs> He's with gonna first base... is going to get eligibility at first base. With first base eligibility that is.
2: Now the batting average is so much.
3: It's. fascinating because then it's like oh you're even if you hit 250
2: yep he was like every other other first you steal me like
3: (laughs) you steal me 15 bags at first base I'm pretty forgiving if you steal me 15 bags at first base like I can can yeah I mean it's still hard to pick 70 to get a guy whose range of outcomes I think is so broad if you put it let's let's i'm just thinking about this now that you brought it
1: up so let's say you do get let's say you draft um tim anderson at shortstop and then you and you draft keston Hira, and you plan to use him at, as, as you plan to use him at first base because i know people said if you if you draft him you're, you're, you're going to use him at second base because it's more scarce But let's say let's just say you do use him at first base Hira, you have here at first base giving you 15 steals and you have tim anderson at, at shortstop giving you i don't know how many steals 20 25 15 to 20 20
3: 20 20 15 Uh, to 20. I think he's like 17, 18 in projections.
1: Okay. So maybe that's not such a, okay. Whitmerfield.
3: I'm I'm
1: trying to, I'm trying to make the comparison to like drafting um, like a, like a, say Jose Abreu. So you have Jose Abreu versus Hira, and then you have a shortstop versus Mondesi because Mondesi is going to bring your average down. But can you like, I guess the only example would be to like, say Trey Turner you have Trey Turner and Hira or Mondesi and some other first baseman.
3: So mm, I see what you're saying. See what I'm saying? Like, is there, some yeah, st- yeah, totally. Like the, the profiles kind of balance each other out in the same way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you have like an average, if you start out guns ablazing blazing on batting average, you know, because you can do that. I mean, like, let's say you go, you know, let's say you have like, you start off with Eloy or something like that. You know, He's probably not a good example, but, let's say you start off with Witt, Merrifield pick 40 to 45 or something like that. And then coming back around, you grab like a Rendon, you know, or something like that. So you have those two batting average anchors right there to start off. Then you come in with Hura and you grab him there as your first baseman, you know, then you have that little bit of cushion with your batting average that I think is kind of nice there. And it just frees your team up to do so many interesting things. I think from that point forward getting getting that many potential stolen bases from from a first baseman and you're you're talking about a guy now who's most, who's who's dual position eligible eligible middle infield and corner infield yep um it's a lot of it's, there's a lot it's of huge. fun things i think you could do there it's interesting i may actually have to consider drafting him there because i don't I don't actually like a lot of the guys that are going in that spot in the draft from a hitting perspective so his projections are like
1: 11 12 stolen bases which isn't 15 so Kira? Yeah, Hira, yeah, Hira. My only, 11, my only concern there, and 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 now, like, I don't know if this should be a concern, but if he's going to be their first baseman and they do have Vogelbach and like there's talk of they bring in Justin Turner, like, okay, yeah, he gets he plays first base, but maybe he doesn't play every. He doesn't no, play. Don't
2: don't 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 go No, it's this is their guy, like Vogelbach. If he takes uh, at bats away from Kesson Hira, Kesson Hira's season's already lost to begin with. That's just the way I see it. Like this, he's going to get every at bat he wants until he screws it up enough. And we got to remember Kesson Hero is one of the best pure hitters, not power hitters in all of college baseball before he was drafted. He was like that in all throughout the minors. And he's just got, he has a big hole with fastballs right now. And if he's as good as he was and and can be again, eventually that average is going to come back. So there's zero chance that Vogelbach takes that job if he's hitting the baseball. Like it's not happening.
3: I mean, all of, all of, All of Hira's projections are pretty similar. I mean, the low, the low is 246 on zips. The high is 259 on the bat. Everybody else has them for 30 home runs and 10 to 12 stolen bases and 175 to 180 counting stats. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty phenomenal. You know, that's – that's that's, Luke, that's that's like Luke Voigt, maybe minus 10 points in batting average, plus 11 to 12 stolen bases.
2: And that's taking 20 games off of a full season. So, that's assuming he gets some days off. Imagine if he plays 150, 155 games. So,
1: You're 100 selling years. me on I – I don't have – Toby, I don't have any – No, sh- he's
2: a I've, – I've always loved casting here, but he's scary at a, from a second base perspective, like Toby was saying. But now you throw him in first base where his profile – you just take the name away and throw the projection out there that's similar to a lot of guys except you get stolen bases so it's very very appealing and i mean the thing is i think i think first base has one of the
3: i mean i know we don't do like replacement level for for um
2: for well first base non-catchers and
3: stuff like that but there is a difference i mean there is a difference between them it's relatively negligible but i believe first base has one of the higher like it it, there's there's Yeah, and there's not a lot that d- differentiates the guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just so many similar profiles, right? Yep. Um, you know, because, yeah, I mean, it's it's super interesting. Um, it's really interesting. Well, yeah, no, you, de- you definitely, I, I was intrigued, but he's still,
1: regardless of all the risks, he still is um, going fairly high. Like, it, it, there still is a price to
3: pay for him this year, which is
1: why. And, he,
2: and he's 24 years old.
3: Yeah. And and who do you replace him with? I mean, honestly, exactly. like, you can't. Do the Brewers even have a third baseman? Yeah, don't think you're curious. So.
2: Yeah, that's not that's no, a, guess a they utility, guy, utility man. I
3: I mean, they, they, I mean their shortstop is a horrendous hitter. I mean, I, Colton Wong is a good hitter, but he's you know, he's not, I, he's not a he's not like They got him because he's a really good defender and he's a good leadoff hitter. He's not necessarily a great He's a good OBP guy. Yeah. I mean, he's going to hit like 250 as well with very limited power.
2: RC is a great eight hitter.
3: Yeah. RC is a great hitter after the pitcher.
2: Yeah. (laughs) He has I mean,
3: mean, Honestly, I mean, you guys, tonight should be known as the the night that Keston Hira became a, a draft target for all of us.
2: He rose from the ashes like the Phoenix.
3: Oh yes, for sure. You no, know, I, I was totally
1: out on him before because of just the play discipline. Totally. Uh, but I I didn't look at his minor league numbers and I just look now there the, the striker really was not what it was in the major leagues. Um mm-hmm. he, I think he was MVP of the Arizona Fall League at one point too. Yep. And, and you know uh, you can you can you can you can say the other MVPs of that fall league, I think it's Glaber Torres, Acuna. um I don't know, every basically it, it seems like everyone that wins MVP of the Arizona Fall League turns into a stud um so maybe i'm backing on him i just i just don't know how i'm gonna get some shares of him i don't know where he's gonna fit into my team i'm usually targeting like i really like i really want to target pitching and still and shortstop in those early rounds because i know you say since i know bubby you said shortstop's deep but after the after um tim anderson and and seager are gone like there's just such a delta It's, it's such a like 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 how tall do you think of catcher that's sort of how i think of shortstop this year it's such a like a delta between getting like it's such an advantage having the, one of those top nine or even two of them. Like I've double tapped shortstop in the first three rounds with a pitcher before, just because you're going to oh, have really. such an advantage. Um, you know,
2: no shortstop has a big hole in the middle. I agree with that. There's just better options late than there is at like other positions in shortstop.
1: Yeah. So that's what I mean. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, we're, I'm looking at a draft I'm doing right now. Um, and um, am i am thinking? Where would I've taken it? Cause he went, let's look at where he went in the most recent draft.
3: they're they're all the thing about shortstops too is they're all um well priced there isn't a lot of that like quote unquote value I know everybody's like against value now but we all know what we mean when we say value right like perceived value I guess you know uh, you know there's not a lot of guys that kind of stand out as big Perceived values early on, like Mondesi from the projections, yes, but we obviously know the range of outcomes is broad. Maybe Bogart's, you know, maybe Javi Baez, but again, you know, there's, I think there's a big variance between projections there. And so those guys are all well priced. So it's not like there's anybody that's there where you're just like, you know, I, and they're going so early, it's, it's hard to, it's nice to set a foundation with that, but it isn't, isn't a position, I think, where there's a lot of great great draft targets necessarily.
1: Yeah, I'm looking right now. He's he's at a place, and I and this is maybe something where, a place where Toby, you wouldn't want to target him, but target you might want to target him instead of me, but like my first closer in these leagues, like I think it's, I, I'm, I've been finding that I want to target like a one stud closer and is waiting forever for my next closer. So if you want to get one of those stud closers, that's where you're getting Hira,
3: essentially. So if you want to do that, you be my guest.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I would encourage you to take your first closer when I'm taking Keston Hira. It sounds like a challenge. If it is a it is a challenge. I would I would challenge all all your listeners to take your first closer right there in drafts. For sure, you should do it. I do want to get a
1: Hira now that we're talking about it, but I just don't see I don't see where I'm going to do it. I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna
3: be a challenge yeah. to do it. I'm, I'm of course like I'm, I, I say all this joking. I hope it doesn't come across in the podcast uh, like like I'm trying to be a know-it-all. I just, I just feel, um, oh. you know, I, uh, yeah, it's a I game, just, it's a game. There's some, there's some healthy terms, totally. and game. there's a lot of ways to get there, and a lot of good players who who will draft that closer at that point in time. But for me, the exercise I'm doing in my mind there is like you're drafting a high-skilled guy, right? Who's really good. I mean, Liam Hendricks is really good. Like, let's be honest with each other, you know? Um, but there will be a relief pitcher with similar skills that is available after pick 400. You know, maybe not exactly the same, right? But Devin Williams wasn't drafted last year. Like there's some other guys that are going really late that have really, really great skills. So the differentiating factor between them is access to saves. That's what, do. That's what you're paying for with these guys. You're paying exclusively for the saves. You know, and the hit rate on them is, there's just too many things I think that can go wrong, specifically related to saves. Um, And you can get saves later on, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You can pay for that. Yeah, anyways. I think the, I think it's different in these draft and holes in the
1: fab league. I'm more, I'm less likely to pay for. I don't think I would. I don't think I would pay for a top closer in a fab league. But in these leagues, it's just so difficult oh, to yeah. obtain one because all the closers that are going to pop up probably aren't going to even be drafted. A lot of them that are going to become relevant won't even be in these fifty rounds of um, of these top one top seven hundred and fifty players. Um, I'm looking at some of the DCs last year. Teams are getting 10, 11, 12 uh, standing game points from like one closer I was looking at, I was just looking at the, the the draft champions winners from last year or some of them maybe not the the some of the some of the leagues I think one one of the, one team finished first place with like 21 saves and it was all from one player
3: I think it was all from Presley it is kind of ridiculous like you get 30 saves in DCs now and you're like ecstatic
2: yeah <laughs>
1: All right, guys. Well, we'll end it off on that. I appreciate the time that you've taken. It's uh, We've actually run longer, but I think it was uh, it was an enjoyable conversation. I'm glad we talked about Hira at the end there. I'm glad we got to that. So why don't you just, uh, again, spill your credentials so people can find you on Twitter. Bat yeah, Flip, you Bat, Batflip Crazy, at BD Bubba, Bubba and the Batflip uh, Podcast, Bench with Bubba. i a hit on everything.
2: Yep, it's all the goods.
1: All the goods. Do you want to like, We don't have to
3: talk about golf on this one, Bubba.
2: Not on this one. I'll say that for another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to
3: point out that Bubba had a podcast earlier tonight on golf. I yes. saw him. I saw him on Twitter live. Yep. I was like, "Damn man, you're doing a golf podcast in the evening and
2: every Monday night."
3: Baseball podcast in the late evening. Mm-hmm. All right. you know it. All right. Well, again, thanks, guys,
1: and um, I will talk to. You, I'll talk to you guys later. Alright,
3: Thanks, Appreciate Appreciate Thanks for it. It. having
2: us right. Bye, see you tomorrow,
3: bye bye See ya On
0: a warm summer's evening On a train bound from nowhere. I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness The boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces and knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes so if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces for a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice so I handed him my bottle and he drank down my last swallow then he bombed a cigarette There'll be time enough for counting when the dealin's done. Every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away, knowing what to keep, cause every hand's a winner, and every hand's a loser. The best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. And when he finished speaking, he turned back toward the window, crushed out his cigarette, faded off to sleep. And somewhere in the darkness, the gambler he broke even. But in his final words, I found an ace that I could keep. You got to know know when to run, you never count your money, when you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting, when the dealing's done, you got no when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away.